It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Pete he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I told you we weren't going away. Everybody was like, well, when the A's are done, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to talk baseball. That's what we're going to do. Baseball's not over, and even when it, when it's over, we'll go into a kind of a hot stove league mode where you know right out of the gate there's going to be managers being hired. There's going to be awards given out. Before you know it, we'll be in the winter meetings, and before you know it, we'll be at spring training. We are not going away. We've got baseball all day long today. We have two games going right now. How about the Tampa Bay Rays? You had the feeling like, oh, Houston's just going to sweep these guys. Not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso would say on ESPN College Football. The Rays right now are hammering the Astros 9-3. to And that guy that Commander Cody keeps saying is the greatest pitcher of all time and I keep going, well, I got to see it in the postseason. Zach Greinke today, three and two-thirds, six earned runs. He got hammered as the Rays went off on him. Kiermaier, Dinger, Adamus, Dinger. And then they just they started packing on. Charlie Morton today, five innings. And this is the thing about the Rays. And we'll continue to monitor this throughout next year. Is like, how good is their bullpen going to be? Because their bullpen works a ton. Their starters don't go deep. Charlie Morton today went five innings, struck out nine. Through 93 pitches, he gone. Problem for Charlie Morton is he strikes a lot of guys out, so that means you throw a lot of pitches, so he never gets to go more than six innings. Today he just went five. So that is game three of the ALDS, where Houston leads 2-0. But once again, it is 9-3 heading to the top of the eighth inning. And then we've got game four of the NLDS. We're in the top of the third, and the Cardinals lead 2-1 over the Braves. That is a fun series. 
How about my guy Josh Donaldson getting it started yesterday and then the comeback victory for the Atlanta Braves? That is a good series. And then later on today, we're going to have at 340, we'll still be on the air. Now, remember, what what we're doing here is we'll go one to four and then we'll replay it in afternoon drive from four to seven. We're going to have the Dodgers and the Nationals. That's going to be Rich Hill coming off injury. They're not expecting him to go deep at all. Up against Mad Max, Max Scherzer, who, let's be honest, Scherzer hasn't been great lately. So that will be a 340. And then, of course, it doesn't matter who the Yankees are playing. They're going to be in prime time. It's the Bombers up against the Twins. We got... You think the A's have been bad in the postseason? We got some stats on the Twinkies. Uh, They have not been good at all. This is going to be Severino against Odorizzi coming up here at 540. So Dodgers, Nats, 340, and then Yankees, Twins at 540. Our guest list today, you're going to love. Former Cal Bear, World Series hero, our Astros insider, Jeff Blum, will be here. We always love Blummer. The great Steve Garvey will be here at 2 o'clock. Can't wait to talk to the Garve. And then we're going to throw back-to-back Hall of Famers at you. Is this any good? Tom Glavin and Burt Blylevin. Back-to-back Hall of Famers. How good was Tom Glavin? Two-time NL Cy Young Award winner. Ten-time All-Star. World Series MVP in 1995. He led the National League in wins five times. He actually, he could swing it too. Four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. And I will ask him, because we taped this earlier today. He was a terrific hockey player. He was drafted in front of Brett Hall and Luke Robitaille, two Hockey Hall of Famers, in the 1984 draft by... The L.A. Kings. You know, there's something special about that Braves team. I know they won one World Series, and they obviously feel they should have won one more. But the fact that they played all their games on TBS and that everybody got to watch them, they were a superstar team. Like, we talk about Hudson Mulder and Zito. How about Maddox, Glavin, and, and Smoltz? That's one of the great threes of all time. They won their division. Like, we, we talk about the, the, the Dodgers winning the West seven straight times, which is fantastic. They won it 14 straight. 14 straight. Multiple World Series. But the fact that, and, and we'll ask Tom about it, and because we asked Smoltzy about it, you know, they were rock stars because their games were on TBS. They were they were nationally, you know, like the NFL, where every game is, is a national telecast. Every one of their games was on and everybody could get it. If you had cable, you had TBS. So you could be watching like Gilligan's Island or Brady Bunch or whatever. And the next, thing you know, here's Braves baseball. So it's going to be an honor to have on two Hall of Famers today 
and Tom Glavin and Burt Blylevin. Love having the Hall of Famers on. So, Houston, bottom line, the Rays are tough. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't think of them as tough. You watch those first two games. Verla- Verlander dices them up. Cole dices them up. But now you get in St. Petersburg. Did, I, did you see the crowd today? Commander Cody, what was the crowd like today there at the Trop? It's pretty electric. When uh, they hit their first home, when Cameron had the three-run homer off Granky, that place went nuts. Really loud. Is it packed? Yeah, it was pretty packed from what I've seen. I don't know. Maybe they weren't showing the images of the upper levels of the Trop. But uh, it looked really packed from what I've seen. And that when Kermit hit that home run, that place went crazy. Well, they're up 9-3. to three. And that's the whole thing about a series. When the ro- – you know, you just – you hold serve at home. I mean, if the Rays win today, which they're up 9-3, to three, you win again tomorrow, you have a day off and you go back to Houston and you got Verlander in Houston, not going to be easy. But that's the whole thing. It's a series, but it's not really a series until someone doesn't win at home. And that's when everything changes. I'm going to have to get, you know, this is something I don't want to get into, but I have to. We're going to have to get into Acuna Jr. This kid's a little bit off the rails right now, and it's a little disturbing because of his talent. His talent is so amazing. We were talking about him being a 40-40 guy at 21 years old. He's special, but he doesn't get it. And it's really tough, and I wonder what's going on. We're going to try and get, we're going to try and get my old friend Josh Donaldson on. Got to know Donaldson real well when he was here with the A's. And the one thing that I know about Josh Donaldson is that Donaldson is a, is, is a He's got like a football player's mentality. He's a tough guy. And he doesn't like putting up with BS. I know that for a fact. Because as much as you guys liked all that came with Josh Reddick, I can tell you for a fact, Donaldson wasn't having it. There was a clash between those two and personalities. Because Donaldson isn't all about the part. You know, I talked about the A's, you know, the day after, if you were listening here to A's Cast Live, and I was talking about how, you know, hey, it's great. It's a big party in the clubhouse. Hey, it's great. It's like a frat house, Jason Giambia. Hey, it's great. We got Spider-Man costumes. Hey, it's great. We're pieing everybody. All that's a lot of fun, but it hasn't translated to winning the postseason. And I can tell you a guy who didn't love all of that was Josh Donaldson. He was not into that. He's hard-nosed. He's old school. He comes to win. Put it this way. Josh Donaldson was loved so much by the staff that the first game back when he was with the Blue Jays, he spent more time in the A's clubhouse than he did in the Blue Jays clubhouse. That's how much he was loved in that room. And after the first game, I think we've had enough time that I can tell the story and Melvin won't be angry with me. After the first game, 
of that series when he came back. He sent Melvin a long text. Because Donaldson knows he's, he's not the easiest guy to deal with. It was very heartwarming to Melvin to have one of his former players reach out to him and tell, tell him how much he loved him and appreciated him as a manager and he brought the best out of him. It was very emotional for Melvin. That's the kind of guy Josh Donaldson is. So I wonder how Donaldson, I don't know, I don't know how good a you know, it's funny, like, you know your team, like, you watch your team, so you know everything about your team, but I don't watch every Braves game. I mean, I've watched some Braves games. You see a lot of highlights. I watch MLB Network, so I see the highlights of him. I mean, I bet his English is not great. I don't know how you get to a kid like that. And we'll ask Tom Glavin later on what he would do. But there, but A's fans, you know, some of you, you, you got to stop. Ever since this, this last wild card loss, I've seen some things. Now, I try and stay away from the noise. Would Brian Sabian call it the lunatic fringe? And then my guy, Tim Flannery, named his band Lunatic Fringe. And I say my guys because Tim Flannery was my infield coach as a kid at the San Diego School of Baseball. Some of you, you got to wise up in a lot of different ways. I'm about to get real serious with you. Because some of you need to understand on the field and off the field. It seems like some of you don't get it. And you know me. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm going to give you my honest opinion. So I'm going to get real serious with you next, talking about the A's on the field and on the A's off the field, next on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah. A's Cast Live will be on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. By the way, I was at the Pig Jig on uh, Saturday down in San Jose. Got to see COO Chris Giles perform for 45 minutes. I saw a video on Twitter. Not bad. He's very good. I was was very good. I was impressed. I was like, wow. As a non-country music fan, I, I appreciated his effort and applaud his uh, everything he did down there. So he's done it very good. So how about that? I get no Houston, I get no London, I get no Paris or Amsterdam. I get the pig jig. So we had a barbecue contest. By the way, one of the guys we had in our pit, uh, our team is one of the head chefs for Google, and we still didn't win. But yeah, it was a lot of fun seeing Chris Giles perform. COO of your Oakland Athletics, a very talented man, no question about it. Jeff Blum is going to join us, former Cal Bear and World Series hero for the White Sox and now works for the Houston Astros and does their television. Since uh, the game is not on locally, he's got time to join us as Houston is down now 10-3 to in the top of the eighth inning. You know, if... You really are one of these people 
that put out on Facebook or wherever the hell it is. Luckily, I had things going on this weekend, and I'm not even replying to that crap. If you think Bob Melvin and Billy Bean should be fired, you're a moron. You literally, and I want all of you, I want all of you who are listening right now, tell those people, I'm not reacting to that because I don't have time for that garbage. I want all of you who are listening right now to tell them I said they're effing morons. You think someone else is going to come in here and win? You think someone else is going to come in here and deal with all the issues that you have to deal with and is going to win? You remember what it was like before Bob Melvin was here? You remember the Bob Guerin era? You've been to the playoffs five out of the last eight years. You want to bring someone in that doesn't understand how to win and how to win in a – it takes special people to win here. I know you guys all oh, – oh, Oakland is so great. Oh, yeah, it's just great. Yeah, bring somebody else in. You want to, you, you, you want to go through that? You want to go back to getting your ass kicked? Stop it. You've been to the playoffs 10 out of the last 20 years because of Billy Bean. You want, you want, to, you want to go get some young MIT kid who doesn't get it, who's just going to be all about the numbers and bring it? Really? That's not good enough for you guys? I get it. You want to go deeper in the playoffs, and I think this team is. Sometimes you have to learn from your failures. But you want to replace these guys who get you the playoffs all the time? What the hell's wrong with you? Get off Facebook. Get off Twitter. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I couldn't believe I had people contacting me this week and saying, can you believe that people, A's fans, are saying this? And, oh, by the way, A's fans, you, you, you just heard the promo of the commish, right? The commissioner told Libby Schaff and whoever this Kaplan person is, he straight told them, you better drop the lawsuit or you may lose your team. And then I got that, oh, it's Oakland. So, Oakland's so great, huh? If Oakland's so great, why the hell did they lose the NBA? If Oakland's so great, why did they lose the NFL? I don't know of a town that's lost NFL and NBA at the same time. I think that's rather historic. We've seen some teams lose NFL. We've seen teams lose NBA, but haven't seen them lose both. And now the commissioner of the other sport is threatening you to lose Major League Baseball. How great of a town is it if you can't, if you if you lose all three basically in a in a very quick span? It's it's that great. You pro-Oakland people, you better be hounding your politicians, your council members, people in the JPA. You better be hounding them right now. Shots have been fired. I mean, I actually had to think about it. Man, they moved to Vegas? Well, Vegas just acquired an NHL team. Vegas just acquired an NFL team. Vegas has no problem building arenas and football stadiums. By the way, do you think Vegas could potentially get money for a baseball stadium? 
Vegas makes things happen. Vegas builds 24-7. You do realize that they work 24-7 on the Raiders stadium. It's not like the union in Oakland. Why do you think it takes, you want a dirty little secret? Why do you think it takes so long to do the transformation from football to baseball or baseball to football? Yeah, from what I understand, the union's not so easy to deal with. In Vegas, they work around the clock. They have shifts. People are working on that stadium 24-7. Through the middle of the night, through the morning, the afternoon, and then back at it. And that's why it's going to get built. Because they don't have the issues that you have in California. And they're always one vote away from another little tax on hotel rooms, and they build a baseball stadium. By the way, did you see their attendance this year in Vegas for the Las Vegas Aviators? It was pretty good. It's a happening sports town. Hard to believe, but you know, it's not really that hard to believe because so many people live in Vegas. I mean, it's amazing. You got Henderson. I mean, watching it grow throughout all these years, and now it's not all transients. I mean, Vegas has been around. I mean, there's a lot of people who were born and raised in Vegas. Raiders are sold out. The Golden Knights are sold out. They averaged 10,000 fans. The, the Aviators had 47, and, and this is hard to believe, by the way. The Aviators had 47 sellouts. 47. And you got to think, throughout the season, it's got to be, what? I mean, how hot are the games? It's got to be smoking hot. So the stadium holds 12,111 fans. Oh, no, they, hold, they, they, they housed a stadium record 12,111 fans on May 14th. And when Manfred said, and Larry, council member Larry Reed said, quote, that Manfred, he kind of laid down the law. I mean, he said people are already going to be going from the Bay Area to, to Vegas for Raider games. And that got me thinking. Since the Las Vegas Aviators are already there in its A's, you really could add Vegas and not mess up what they really want to do is expansion. They want to expand to 32 teams. If you go to Vegas, then you leave Portland open, you leave Montreal open, and they still have talked about somewhere in that tri-North Carolina type deal somewhere in there. So you still leave, and Nashville. They've talked about Nashville. So if you said, you know what, Oakland, go to Vegas. You still leave Nashville, Portland, Montreal. Look that up, Cody, where they've talked about expansion somewhere in North Carolina. 
I mean, folks, if you think this is a joke, you're kidding yourself. They're over it. They're re- baseball's over it. Baseball, I mean, you could tell Rob Manfred and baseball are over all the issues with Oakland and Tampa Bay. They're over it. What do you got? It looks like Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where the Carolina Hurricanes play at the NHL. So that could be – and that's a nice city. I went there last summer. Raleigh's a nice city. They won a Stanley Cup. They won a Stanley Cup. NC State's right there. The campus is right downtown. It's it's a nice little area right there, and you're not far from Charlotte either. Yeah, I mean, Manfred Manfred walked in and said, hey, listen, we've done everything for you. We didn't allow the team to go to San Jose, which if the team went to San Jose, they'd be an economic power because you'd have all the – you don't think Silicon Valley – if you've ever been to a Sharks game, Go up to the suites area. Go to a Sharks game. Every single suite is a tech company. I go to the Oakland Coliseum. I don't see any tech companies. So Manfred came in and he said, listen, we blocked San Jose because of the Giants. and we, But now you better drop this lawsuit. You better drop it. And what I don't get is... Libby Schaff, when she came on the show, she was all in. She loves what the A's are doing. We want to fix Oakland. We want to fix two spots of Oakland. She was all in. Now, from what I heard, she was shocked by the lawsuit. But now she's like, well, we do want the land. You don't have money. You don't have the money to pay for it. You can't buy the county out. So what are you doing? I I I don't get it. We should uh, we should put in for Libby Schaff. This will be you know. This is when the rubber meets the road. She came on the show when everything was great. Will she come on the show now with a lawsuit out there? Will she talk publicly about it? Uh, and obviously we're going to be coming from. A, a standpoint. Now what's she going to say? Because I can say, hey, we had you on the program. You were all in. This is the greatest thing ever. We're going to fix the Coliseum site. We're going to fix Jack London. And then now there's a lawsuit. They've kind of backed off of it a little bit, like, okay, there's negotiations that go involved. But if you're the A's... And I don't know, I haven't, you know, last time we talked to Cavill, he was shocked about it. I, I don't know where the A's are from this standpoint. I'm just thinking of myself. I know you don't have any money. What, what what's, what's there to negotiate? I mean, you can, you, 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 can tie, you can tie things up in court all you want. But you, you don't have the money to buy out the county. And it sounds like the county's like, you know what, we're still going to negotiate with the, you know, forget you guys. And you can make a case, and I will make the case, that if you look how they have run the Coliseum for all these years, they're borderline slumlords. 
and it's it, it really is it's embarrassing when opposing teams come in and you look at the press box because that's where the brass is. You look at the clubhouse. You look at the stadium. It's amazing now. All of a sudden, they want to start filing lawsuits and talking about they want the land, and they you don't have any money. How are you going to develop it? You don't have any money. We'll get back into this. More importantly, we're going to get back to baseball. And our guy Blummer on the line, World Series hero, does a great job now with the Houston Astros. Blummer, how we doing? I personally am doing you guys, but uh, the, the company I work for is having a rough day. Yeah, I was a little bit shocked by that uh, as the score is now 10-3. to 3, But, you know, the one thing, the Rays, I mean, you rolled through them for the first two days, but you have to admit, especially at Tropicana, the Rays are a tough ball club. Yeah, they're a tough ball club. They figured out how to play in that place. It's it's not one of the more enjoyable habitats to go out and try and play a baseball game in. And uh, it's kind of interesting still hearing that they have a playoff game in that stadium and they're still unable to take the tarps off the entire upper deck of the stadium and fill it. That's It's a little concerning for me if I was just the commissioner of baseball by itself. But uh, the Rays have done a very good job in competing with a subpar stadium a subpar payroll and they just do a great job of, you know, mixing some parts and putting things together to be able to be able to go out there and beat some uh, pretty good ball clubs. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, they'll have their day today, but I think we all know the Astros probably will win this series. They're highly favored just in a, a day in and day out. What is it like when you're calling baseball where you're seeing Verlander one day, then it's Cole, then it's Grinky. What has that been like for you? It's been outstanding, and it's it's been a lot of fun, and it's been a lot of pressure because the better these guys are, the you know the better we have to be too, because more people are tuning in to listen. And uh, but it's been a lot of fun. The first you know three months of the year, you're like, oh man, what are these guys going to do this year? And you get to that All Star break, and you're like, wow, they're having amazing years. Uh, you know, there's Cy Youngs uh, attainable, and then you've got uh, Alex Bregman heating things up around the All Star break. Uh, Jordan Alvarez doing what he's doing. But when you have a Cole and Verlander going out and competing against each other on the same team and, and literally striking out 10 guys per game, it really puts an emphasis on us to try and figure out how these guys compare. And that's probably been the most fun for us is going back to some historical teams and even teams that I've faced in trying to figure out who Cole and Verlander kind of compare themselves to. And we keep looking at the you know, Garrett Cole, uh, Pedro Martinez matchup as far as strikeout percentage over a year, and Cole won that. Uh, then you see uh, Verlander, I mean, not Verlander, uh, Schilling and Johnson, how many strikeouts they had combined. And, the, you know, they were the uh, strikeout duo until we saw Verlander and Cole. So it's been kind of fun in the historical sense to be able to see who these guys match up with because we, have, we did witness history. Yeah, I, I actually retweeted the other day. Somebody put out there about tunneling and to look at the three different pitches by Garrett Cole, how they all look the same, and then all of a sudden as it gets to home plate, they all start to break off where they go, and we're now able to see all this from these high, uh, these high-speed cameras. Man, I mean, Cole's stuff is just – it's incredible. It is incredible, and that has been a lot of the fun that you do have the technology now that can break it down. And, you know, at, at normal humanized speed, it's really tough to break down what makes these guys so good other than 
the velocity and maybe some of the spin rate to explain why they're able to snap the slider or the curveball off and create that break. But now when they get in the playoffs, obviously the technology stepped up because budgets are a little bit different. So you get these incredibly slow motion uh, type cameras that are able to break down where that release point is and really see how far out of the hand after release point, how far out of the hand the fastball and slider look so similar out of the hand. And that's where it gets real tricky as a hitter trying to, you know, delineate which, which pitch is which, because the eye has to tell you the velocity and it has to tell you what the spin is. And then you also have to be creative enough to try and anticipate where that spin is taking that ball. And that's a lot to do within about a half second. You know, when I think of you, you mentioned Alvarez, it's just crazy to think that the Houston Astros got him and there was a mix up in the trade with the Dodgers. What's the story on that? Uh, you know what? I've heard several different stories about that. I just, I, I think it's amazing in itself that we sit back and we say, Jordan Alvarez got traded for Josh Fields because nothing against Josh Fields, who was a serviceable uh, major league bullpen guy out of the Astros bullpen. It was a different story when he ended up with the Dodgers, who actually helped the, the Astros win their first World Series championship. But if you look at the comps and the potentials and futures or projections or whatever you want to call them, that was the most lopsided trade, almost like Jeff Bagwell and Larry Anderson, how that thing ended up. Because Jordan is such a unique, freakish talent at 22 years old, and he's still going to be maturing and, and in the system for six years. And if he continues at a 25 to 75, 80 RBI type guy, he is a huge asset to have. But, you know, I, I heard that they had a list of names. They couldn't pick off the list. Then they said, oh, well, what about this young uh, Jordan Alvarez guy who's – you literally just signed maybe a week ago, you know, with some international signing bonus. And then I heard it was just, you know, they recommended that they pay the money on the signing bonus for that guy. So there's a, there's an interesting history behind it. I'm not sure which story is real, but it's definitely adding to the folklore of Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's just like the rich just keep getting richer. And I, (laughs) I, and I think about Jose Altuve. And when the numbers came out that he's like neck and neck with Pete Rose in hits at this point mm-hmm. in his career, what a special player. I remember in Oakland, you you know how the steps go down from, you know, the Astros clubhouse and the st- steps go down. I remember one time he walked out at the same time I was walking down. I'm 5'9", and I'm like, wow, you can't believe how short he is. But this guy is a hitting machine. I think no question he is going to be a baseball Hall of Famer. Just talk about him as a player and just, you know, to be able to be, like, in the conversation with Pete Rose is amazing. Yeah, I I am with you on that. And, again, we go to the historical context to try and comprehend how some of these Astros are playing in their careers. And Altuve is definitely one of those guys. It's amazing to see the comp between him and Pete Rose like you're talking about, just in the sense that you do get an appreciation for what Altuve and Pete Rose are doing. And then you try and calculate how, how, how many hits is he going to have to get and how long is he going to have to play to get to the Pete Rose status. And that's what's even more astonishing to me is, you know, it's another 15 years of 200-plus hits a year to even get within range of what Pete Rose is able to go out there and do. So he's got a long road ahead of him. I think his legs are really going to help him out. That's one of the things in the second half that's really made him the difference maker in the second half of the Houston Astros is the ability to beat out some infield hits and also get on the legs and drive baseballs out of the ballpark, setting a new career high with 31 home runs in the, in the season of 2019. And what's great about Jose Altuve is he's still continuing to get better. I don't know if we've really seen him plateau because, you know, a couple of injuries have hampered him a little bit, 
But I'd be real curious to see next year if he comes out and he isn't a 200 hit, 30, you know, 20 to 30 home run type guy, which would really, you know, cement what you were talking about as a Hall of Fame career. You know, everybody keeps talking about Garrett Cole going back home to Southern California. Uh, his wife is, you know, is from Northern California, and that you know he's going to be an angel. But I think about what you got there in Houston, and I think about the window of opportunity that's there in Houston. I don't know if you'd really want to leave that. How happy do you think Garrett Cole is there with the Astros? Well, I think we should hire you to put it on our PR staff to try to convince him to stay here because I think you're right in the sense that uh, he is very comfortable here. And I know that for a fact. He has meshed real well with uh, Justin Verlander. He's meshed real well. He's going to be here for two more years. He's meshed really well with uh, Brent Strom, the pitching coach. And, you know, we actually interviewed his mom on one of our last telecasts of the year um, over on AT&T. And she had mentioned, you know, with him in Pittsburgh, it was kind of miserable, didn't get to see him all that often. Now, all of a sudden, he's in Houston. The Astros are going through Anaheim three times a year. And she's, oh, Garrett's so happy. I'm so happy. We get to see each other. It's a great situation. So I really hope that those things kind of, you know, it's going to be tough to discount a guy and convince him to come back to a place when you're going to see offers for Garrett Cole probably in the range of $35 million a year. That's what's going to be tough competition because you can, you can love a place to death, but I tell you what, if you give me $35 million, $35 million reasons to enjoy a city, I'll find a way. Yeah, but give me his number. I'll call him. I'll tell him about the state taxes of <laughs> the state taxes here in California is thirteen point three percent. You're going to make a lot more money just in taxes alone. How much money you make more being in Texas? Yeah, that would be actually a lot of fun. If I was better at math and studied a little bit harder at Cal on the uh, calculus <laughs> end of it, I could tell you. You know, does thirty million in Texas compare to a thirty-five million dollar contract in uh, California? Uh, it, it definitely is a big difference, especially when you're playing 81 <laughs> games here. No, but uh, Garrett Cole, I mean, you talk about uh, it's just such a special talent. What What is it about the Astros where they have become masters at taking other people's players and making them better? Oh, it, it, there's so many things involved. I mean, but just on the surface and, and a lot of the stuff that we know about because you know as well as I do, the Oakland A's and a lot of these organizations have proprietary information and they have specific scouts that work well within their systems of analytics. So they know how to go out and scout and look and find what they feel is going to be a very good fit or they're going to be able to enhance. And I think what a lot of, uh, a lot of Astro scouts and maybe some of the analytics say is go out and find me a guy with arm speed Garrett Cole obviously had arm speed, which relate, relates to high velocity as far as the pitch coming across home plate. And then they go out and they try and measure the spin rates. If they have a guy who can actually crank up maybe you know, 10, 12 times a year, really crank up a high spin rate, I think they put a little asterisk next to the guy and say, okay, this is a guy that I think that we can work with. So they scout him a little bit longer and see if they can maintain some of that spin rate. And then they bring him over here to the Houston Astros and they kind of put him in their system, put him through the grinder of what the Astros feel is going to make them best. And if the guy catches on, you're going to see a lot of velocity and you're going to see a lot of spin because the Astros really believe that you've got to spin to win. And the more spin rate you've got, the sharper the break. And these guys go out and throw their off speed as hard as you possibly can. That's not something that's typically taught, but probably is going to be start, you know, probably is going to be talked about more is throw your off speed as hard as you can to create that spin for the swing and miss. 
but it's also the adjustment, you know, from that old school mentality of getting on the two seamer and creating sink for the ground ball. Hitters in this modern era are starting to develop swings to get under the sinker and lift it and get it out. And I think that's why you've seen a little bit besides the baseball, a little bit of a jump in the home runs. So the Astros understand that in order to swing up, you've got to start to swing down and come up through the zone. So the way they're competing with it is throwing the four seam fastball, having that spin rate plane out and ride through the top part of the zone where you've got to be pretty darn perfect to get to a high fastball. And then you add the velocity to it, it makes it a little more tough. Let me take you back to 2008. Jeff Blum was 35 years old. He hit 14 <laughs> bombs. If you were playing today, you'd be like a 30 home run guy. Yeah, I wouldn't be sitting on 99 home runs. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> they would have taken. They they'd bring you back to Houston there at Minute Maid Park, and you'd be. A, can can you imagine you getting to be able to hit with the ball that we have today? Oh my gosh, yeah, I, I think about that all the time. You know what? I, I played through the steroid era. I had the opportunity maybe to think about doing it, but I did not do it. And you know, I still had a good career, but I, I always look back and go. Man, what if? What if I just did it enough to give me, you know, ten to, you know, fifteen to twenty home runs a year? And now I look at this era that's playing right now. And if that baseball had been back in that steroid era, could you imagine the numbers they would have put up? But yeah, I do feel that this baseball is helping these guys out a little bit throughout the course of the season. I think the biggest, and if anybody at home wants to really go out and do some studying, go look at the AAA numbers because AAA have their own base. You know, the uh, Pacific Coast League had their own baseball up to 2018. 2019, they adopted the Major League Baseball, and I think home runs jumped by about 1,000. Yeah, it was actually 2,000. Oh, man, are you kidding me? Yeah, it was like 2,000 th- like more home oh. runs than the year before. Well, shoot, I grossly underestimated that. Well, hey, hey, the Las Vegas Aviators, our AAA team, I mean, there was one game mm-hmm. there was 11 home runs hit. Oh, my God. See, that's not, that's not natural. That, I mean, that – Everybody, the, the theory that chicks dig the long ball, everybody loves the offense, that, that's a little too much for me. I want to see guys that know how to get base hits and then have those thumpers in the middle of your lineup that know how to go out there and drive guys in. But, man, that's incredible. Blummer, you're the best, and we'll catch up with you later in the playoffs, and good luck to your Astros. Always appreciate it. Great being on with you guys. I look forward to talking to you soon. The great Jeff Blum, the Cal Bear, joining us here on A's Cast Live. Let's see. Three to one. Or, or, so right now the Rays lead ten to three in the top of the ninth inning. They're gonna close that out. Top of the fifth, the Cardinals are on top of the Braves. And Jesse Rogers from ESPN. The Cardinals make an early statement game four back to back home runs by Goldschmidt and Ozuna. The latter player crushed the Dallas Keuchel pitch 439 feet, according to StatCast. It's just the third time in franchise history the Cardinals have gone back-to-back in the postseason. Keuchel's ERA appearing in a game on three days rest. 10.13 coming into today. That whole three days rest, it just doesn't work. It just, I mean, it's worked at times in the history of the game, but for the most part, they just, the numbers aren't great for pitchers in modern day baseball who go on three days rest. What do I do better than anyone? I bring up an outlier. CC Sabathia was great in 08 that year. Josh, on- Josh Beckett for the Marlins yeah. went on three days rest against the Yankees in game six. I mean, what did Koufax go? Was it 66 against the Twins? He went on like two days rest or something yeah, he, like that? Well, he was on real plus. They threw 400 innings back then. Yeah. But CC, like, and also well, his arm was shot at yeah. 30. 
CC the second half of that year when he got traded to the Brewers, like pitched on three days rest the entire year so the Brewers can make the playoffs. Yeah, that was amazing. But for the most part, when you look at guys on three days rest, you know, I, I, I know uh, Randy John didn't Randy Johnson and Schilling both do that in uh, 2000. What was that year? Two that was, was it 2001? I think they both went on it, and then not only did did Randy go on three days rest in Game Six, and then he closed out Game Seven. <laughs> but yeah, but for the most part in recent modern day history, when a guy goes on three days rest, he stinks. And that that, that that's the whole dynamic. Playoff baseball is different because you have the days off. And watching Grinky struggle today, who are they going to go with in game four? Is it going to be Miley going in game four? Uh, so I was reading something, and they're saying how their number four spot is c- kind of a mess right now because Miley hasn't pitched well. And he's, Sanchez Miley's is out. A, Miley actually pitched in this game t- today. And he gave up two runs, I believe. Wow. So well, What are they going to do in game four? Go Verlander. <sighs> That'd be one, two. Well, if it's four days, technically almost four days rest. Because he pitched game one on, what, Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, tomorrow will be game – yeah, it'll be four days. Miley went two and two-thirds a day, gave up two runs. So obviously he's probably not going. Yeah. It- Do the Rays have a chance? Do the Rays have a chance? And it's a final in St. Petersburg, Florida. The Rays have taken down the Astros 10-3. to You know, we thought, oh, the A's are the ones that have a chance against the Astros. Well, problem is we don't see the game notes. I don't know who's going to go tomorrow. The A's win tomorrow, and then you got a game five in Houston, and that will be Verlander. Charlie Morton's doing okay so far in this postseason. He's 2-0 with a 0.90 ERA. So when you think about Elimination Day, there's possible elimination. The first team possibly to be eliminated, the Tampa Bay Rays, hold serve. God, this is a great time of year. Got four baseball games going today. You're going to have baseball. I mean, this game started early this morning, and you're going to have baseball all the way till probably like, Nine o'clock tonight. The Astros did something today that they don't do very often. They struck out thirteen times in the game. Oh. Remember, they don't strike out ever. It was no. like they were number one in baseball. They they had hit they had the most strikeouts by pitching staff and they had the least amount of strikeouts by uh, an order. And they struck out the Ray staff struck them out thirteen times. Morton had nine, so the bullpen struck them out four. So that's incredible that they get thirteen strikeouts against that that lineup that's very patient and well disciplined at the plate. I'm still uh I'm still looking for the Astros to win that series. They are just so stacked. By the way, the Twins. So the Twins won the Central. They won 101 games. They hit a Major League Baseball record 307 home runs. They have now lost 12 straight games against the New York Yankees in the postseason. 12 straight. Now, 
that's a it's a fun stat. Really, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything because rosters are different, teams are different. These are not the same. But they've lost the first two. They have lost 15 straight playoff games in a row. 15 straight. The Twins' last postseason win, when was that? When was the last time the Twinkies were victorious in postseason baseball? October 5th, wait for it, 2004. 2004. That's the last time they won a playoff game. Since then, there's been 27 teams that have won at least one playoff game. 18 teams who have won at least 10 playoff games. And 10 teams who have won at least 20 playoff games. The Yankees have a plus 49 run differential versus the Twins in the postseason. (laughs) And what is this? All right, this is Commander Cody right here. The only team in all four major sports to lose more were the 1975 through 1979 Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL who lost 16 straight. That's how bad, like my cousins in Minnesota, my cousin is like beside himself, like how bad, like, like they, 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 they feel so inferior. It's unreal. By the way, great ballpark. If you ever get a chance, the facilities in Minnesota, I cannot say it enough. I mean, the football stadium, what's that, U.S. Bank, Target, everything, Okay, I know U.S. Bank has the naming rights of the football stadium, but everything else is Target. That's Target's home base is Minneapolis. Everywhere you go is Target. Target Field, Target Center, Target this, Target that. Target dominates. And so when I was there with the Raiders, I had to go into a Target. Because what's Target like in the Bay Area? Their targets there are monstrous. I mean, it was monstrous. It was, uh, uh, it's incredible. But now the series goes back to Target Field. And can they make some hay? But wow, that's a lot of losses. 15 straight. Where did you find that Chicago Blackhawks stat? Sarah. Oh, you're a thief. You're an absolute thief. Actually, it was public knowledge. Sarah tweeted it out. So I was like, this is incredible. The great Sarah Langs. As a hockey fan, and well, we saw bad hockey Friday night, um, that, that's just incredible because the Blackhawks have been pretty good the last decade plus when they've won a couple. They've only won a few Stanley Cups. I think three. It's pretty good. Yeah, that was um, that was a pure waste of time, the Sharks' home opener. I mean, it got to a point to where we just went down to the bar and watched on television. It was terrible. I mean, it was down one, down two. Next thing it was 5 nothing. And in hockey, 5 nothing is you're getting your you-know-what kicked. We did see Sharks, uh, former Shark Joel Ward, though, when we were standing in line at the bar. That was probably the highlight of the evening. That did not. That did nothing for me. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm trying to trying to bring levity to this, like the, an uplifting thing for there, there Sharks was, fans. There was like, nothing uh, to, to to get whooped by Vegas in the first two games. Three goals in three games. Franchise worst. They scored five goals in three games last year, and they did, they did okay. They lost in the conference finals. Ve- Vegas is not messing around with the Sharks this year. No, they made, they made a statement. 
right out of the gate. I'd say they're pretty uh, pretty PO'd about what happened in the playoffs last year. But San Jose State football got a victory on Friday night. That's that's an important thing. Best team in the South Bay right now. Best uh, d- d- fact. Coach Brennan has has it rolling. How impressive were the Dodgers last night? I mean, that game was close. And then the Dodgers opened up. Hunter Strickland literally is the worst reliever in the history of the postseason. And he's got, hey, he's got an ample opportunity. And it's hard to believe that a guy that throws that hard can be that bad. I mean, he's awful in the postseason. He's given up nine home runs. Think about this. He's given up nine home runs in 13 innings of postseason baseball. He was in the postseason with the Giants in 2014, won a World Series ring. He was with the Giants in 2016, and now the Nationals in 2019. He's appeared in 13 games He's got a 7.62 ERA, and he's given up nine home runs. How is that possible? How is that possible when you throw almost 100 miles an hour, you're just BP? How many earned runs has he given up in 13 innings in his career in postseason baseball? He's given up 11. That's hard to believe. It's hard to believe he's that bad in postseason baseball and you throw that hard. He does have 14 strikeouts in 13 innings. Oh, and he's 1-0 for his record. Look at that. That's that's Hall of Fame stats. Can you imagine when someone goes up to you and, and asks you, like, after the, how does it feel to give up the most home runs in the history of the postseason for a reliever? How many years have we been playing baseball? He's given up the most home runs all time. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. In two games so far in this NLDS, he's got an 18 ERA. It's mind-blowing. When I saw that last night watching the game, it's mind-blowing. And the Dodgers, I'm not going to be shocked if they go out there today and they, they knock around. They knock around Scherzer. I mean, once you got Bellinger finally getting a hit, and he gets a couple hits, and he gets rolling. And how about Max Muncie? How the hell did Max Muncie go from being a scrub to being a, I don't know, top player, one of the top players in baseball? Do we need to go over Max? we got to go over Max Muncie. Max Muncie, in 45 games for the A's in 2015, hit three home runs. Max Muncie, in 2016, in 51 games, hit two home runs. His batting average for the A's was 206 and 186. His OPS was 660 and 565. He goes to the Dodgers... And he's all-world. He's an all-star. How is that possible? It's unbelievable. 
But more importantly, we're going to talk to a baseball legend. The great Steve Garvey is going to join us next right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field team. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right. That, that, so two things just happened during the break. One, Commander Cody said to me, how good would Max Muncy look at second base for the A's now? And the other is Steve Garvey's war is only 38.1. How's that possible? The man drove in 1,308. He had 2,599 hits. Ha, ha. Statistics lie, and liars use statistics. The man played every day. World Series champion, a most valuable player, two-time NLCS MVP, four-time Gold Glove winner, also a Roberto Clemente Award in 1981. Played from the Dodgers since 1969 to 1982. The Padres from 1983 to 1987. And it's amazing how you can change a franchise because as a lot of you know I grew up in San Diego and I got to see when Steve Garvey got to the Padres how much he changed that team and also knowing what he meant to the LA Dodgers do we have Steve Steve Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics say thank you so much for your time well thanks Chris and of course this is the uh the holidays of uh of baseball here, you know, the, the world's watching, so to speak. It's my favorite time of the year, and uh, it's great to be with you. Does it get any better than having four games in one day? No, it doesn't, really. Yeah. <laughs> and if they could find a way to maximize the revenue for TV, they'd have six somehow. You know? But at some point, you got to start narrowing it down, and it's getting pretty interesting. There have been some, uh, some pretty good games. Uh, we got Tampa Bay today, you know. Uh, so it's... Uh, but the Dodgers were 1-1 coming out of L.A., you know, before the, the seven-run inning last night. Uh, it was starting to get uh, get a little nervous time for the Blue. But uh, still, there's time left in each one of the, uh, the division games. You know, it is amazing, the firepower of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you got to see it on display. It's like, Steve, they it was like they shell-shocked the Washington Nationals yesterday in their own park. Uh, they did. You know, it was really a good game. Um you know, now you're nowadays you're just looking for matchups. You know, metrics will dictate this or that. And once Corbin came in, and I'm not so sure, you know, he didn't have that uh, that look on him that he does when he starts games. And he's been very, very effective against the Dodgers. Uh, a little bit hesitant, but, you know, he gets a couple outs and then gets 0-2 and he can't get this guy out. And 0-2, he can't get that guy out. And all of a sudden, you know, five hits after two outs later, 
uh, you're looking at almost an insurmountable uh, lead. So the Dodgers, all of a sudden, they bring him. You know, Corbin comes in. They start going to the righties. You know, they bring Freeze in. You bring Hernandez in. Um, that's what a team that's got depth and, and multi-purpose like the Dodgers can do to you. You know, our, our friend Ray Fossey always laughs about how in one of the <laughs> World Series, they only the A's only used five pitchers in the entire World Series. Just talk about how different it is now compared to when you played, the fact that you, you're going to see a ton of relievers. No matter what, how great the starter is, you're going to see multiple relievers throughout the game. Well, Ray's talking about the Jurassic Park era that we played in, where uh, where he's right. You know, you used a handful of guys, and your starters, uh, their goal was to go complete games. Uh, But the culture has changed dramatically now. The economics now dictates that there are uh, specific skills for for certain positions. And if you look at September, I always have to chuckle when you see 16, 17 pitchers used in in a game in September. And, of course, you know, the expansion of the roster has something to do with it, and I think we're going to modify that. But uh, the, the game itself, the inner game, is, is the relief core and how you use it. Yeah, and you're going to see a ton of relievers throughout the game, there's no question. But when you think about the Dodgers, you know, just talk about how they've mastered, along with the Houston Astros, the ability to take other people's players and make them better. Mm-hmm. Well, they have, and um, and of course, you know, it's also very interesting uh, when Guggenheim took over his, his ownership for a, for the uh, the pittance of two point one, you know, two point one five billion that uh, they brought along that hedge funds mentality, and they the Dodgers had gotten to a point in bankruptcy where they literally had no international office. The minor leagues were, I think, uh, not in the top twenty five at the time, although they had a lot of talented. Uh, executives there and scouts, they just didn't have the money. So with the infusion of the capital from Guggenheim down at the top and literally, you know, all those categories, and to be able this year to be 15, 16 games ahead going into August and to take a look at your talent in the minor leagues and bring up a Smith and a and a Lux and a May and a, a Gosselin uh, gives them the, the latitude to give these kids experience. And, you know, lo and behold, three of those four are on the, uh, at least the, NLDS roster. So, you know, the rich get rich sometimes and the poor get poor. And at the end of the day, though, it's, uh, it's still a game that doesn't have a clock. Time doesn't run out. You need 27 outs and one more run. And, and the team that ultimately wins really has that great season. And even though the Dodgers have had very good teams the last few years, they still haven't been able to close the World Series. So, you know, we use the theme, the hunt for blue October, and uh, this may be the one. Yeah, you start mentioning those names. Like Lux in his very first at-bat in the postseason, he goes yard. You got Bueller starting game one. I mean, you got the veteran guys who are great. We know Kershaw, Rich Hill's going to be going today. But they just keep bringing up these young guys, Steve. It's unbelievable. Well, you know, again, it's all a tribute to the minor league system and the, and the uh, executives and, and scouts and the ability, the ability to draft and sign those people. Uh, and then to develop them. You know, it's all about player development. Ultimately, the teams that seem to be there at the end of September every year are the ones that have the strongest minor league departments. And uh, you see that in the, in the Dodgers, Houston, say over the last six, seven years, uh, and what they've done with a lot of first-round draft choices because of being so bad <laughs> with the prior seven or eight years. Um, but getting that opportunity for filling the Yankees, 
even this year with so many injuries of being able to bring people up, mix and match, piece things together. Uh, and ultimately it all depends on power. And uh, the way the ball has been slipstreaming, I call it, through, uh, through the atmosphere uh, in this era of, of the long ball, uh, ultimately it depends on, on the, who wins the long ball game during the game. You know, I think about you and your career and all the hits that you had. What would a Steve Garvey been like in today's baseball when we're now talking about launch angle? Oh, that's funny. You know, people people come up, uh, did you have a launch angle? And you say, Damn launch angle. How did I hit him out? I, I said, but my angle wasn't uh, in terms of how I could go from low to high. It was more of how I could take a pitch uh, where – where it was thrown and hit a line drive somewhere. And if I got under it a little bit, it'd be a, a home run. But my job was to, uh, to cover the plate. You know, I, I get 10 or 12 bun hits a year, or six, six to eight hit and run hits. Um, I knew when to drop my hands and hit a fly ball for a sacrifice fly. Uh, it was situational hitting with an approach towards, you know, hitting line drives. If you look back at the games, you know, say for instance, a, a world series game in the 70s, if you look at the players, all of them had a parallel stance and most of them had a close stance because you were taught that's the way you cover the plate. Now you see a significant number of open stances where hitters are an inside half hitter and they, they wait for that pitch. Everybody's pre-stationary in the box. Nobody really moves around that, that I did and a lot of guys did depending on situations. And uh, they're trying to get under the ball and hit it out. And that's what sabermetrics demands. Yeah, walks are fine. Singles are just okay. Uh, solo bases aren't in big demand, but the the home run and the three home run, three and home run are uh, are the epitome of this this metric game, or like I call it, like to call it spreadsheet baseball. You know, I think about two organizations have won at least three World Series in a row. There's only two. It's the Yankees and the A's. And for our young A's fan base, you got to play against one of those teams in the 70s. Tell these young A's fans how good the 70s A's were. Well, they epitomized, uh, you know, baseball at, at that time, you know, and, and really throughout the ages. Um, good solid defense, good starting pitching. You know, didn't need a lot of relieving, but they had a Raleigh Fingers. Uh, they had some power. They manufactured runs. They stole bases. Uh, Dick Williams turned out to be a Hall of Fame manager and who managed uh, myself, you know, and a pretty pretty good team in San Diego, uh, knew how to take a veteran team and, and how to use it. So it, it really was the way the game was played. And, of course, the Dodger organization was always known as the Dodger way to play the game. You know, we worked on bunting and hitting running. The you know, first 10 days of spring training, we would spend the morning on, on cutups and relays and, and defensive plays. Uh, I don't think a team spends maybe one morning in spring training anymore on that. So, um, you know, like I always say, offense wins games, defense wins championships. And if you look from, you know, throughout October, defense ultimately will win, you know, the, the, the golden prize, and that'll be the world championship. You know, I, I actually still have this. It, it, it's three pictures in a row, and you signed it. The home run you hit off Lee Smith as a Padre. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It, it was really, really sure. cool. And when you're when you're raising your fist, rounding first, and I think it was Drysdale saying, "And there will be a tomorrow." What was that mm -hmm. moment like for you in that playoffs against the Cubs? Well, there are certain moments that define your career, and of course, when 
the Dodgers made me an offer I could refuse <laughs> after my contract ran out in 82. Um, you know, I did a little tour of the Giants, Cubs, Yankees, Houston, and San Diego. And uh, ultimately, Ray Kroc had me up to his, his clifftop home. And, of course, we all know the great success of Ray Kroc and McDonald's. And he was about 83 at the time. And he got me up there and he looked at me and said, Stevie, he said, uh, I really want you here, son. And I said, well, thank you, sir. You know, everyone we wanted. He said, but I got one problem. I said, gosh, what's that? He said, I can only pay in Big Macs and French fries. <laughs> and I said, well, can I have it for a lifetime? He looked at me and smiled. He said, yeah, you can have it for a lifetime. He said, I'll probably find a few bucks. And uh, he said, but, you know, I want you here. And I signed with him the next day, and that began the run, you know, 83 uh, we come together with a young Gwynn and Mick Reynolds and, um, you know, Kennedy and those guys. And then Gossage and Nettles join us in 84, and we go all the way to the World Series for the first time. And of course, I hit that, that walk off against Lee Smith. But uh, people will come up and they'll tell me where they were when I hit the home run. And I think that's always a measure of, of uh, and how it affects people. And, and I always say we're in the memory game, and that memory is uh, indelible for many people, including myself. And a lot of people forget at Michigan State, I mean, obviously you're a great baseball player, you're a first-round draft pick, but you were also a DB on the football team back in the day. Yeah, I yeah, I love football, and I was a quarterback out of Tampa Chamberlain and, and went there, and Duffy Doherty got a hold of me and said, son, you know, we heard you're a pretty good football player, and you want you to play that too? And I said, oh, good. You know, I'd love to. And uh, at the end of the first week of practice, as a freshman, uh, there was a shortage of defensive backs, and the coach said, anybody play defense? I rose my hand. He said, play a little corner this afternoon. You know, I intercepted a pass and looked like I knew what I was doing, and that was uh, that was it for offense. But, but I started for two years, and it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, I always thought that playing football, you know, was a big asset for my baseball career. It taught me a lot of things, and, and one thing was toughness and playing through pain, and, and ultimately that, uh, that helped when I was on – you know, the consecutive game streak that went seven and a half years and 1,207 games and, and the national records. So um, I always look back at that time in Michigan State as being a great time. And scholastically and, and personally is a, is a key development in my life and a key to my future. And let's end on this. I think about the infield you were a part of, and continuity is such a big thing, especially in sports. And when you got Ron Say at third, and you got Lopes at second, you got Russell at short, and you at first base, all those years you guys played together, what was that like in the continuity that you guys had in that Dodger infield? You know, that's a great question. I uh, I talk about that frequently now because even though you have teams that are they're very, very good. The teams that seem to have the same seven guys every night, and you look at Houston two years ago, and you look at Boston last year, and you look at the Dodgers who they played and how the Dodgers would, you know, pit right against left and vice versa and move guys around. Ultimately, if you can get to that seven guys every day, you know, that can move together and have continuity, I think you're, you're at an advantage. And that's why starting in the middle of 73 to 83, uh, that run where we went to four World Series, won a World Championship, came in second four other times, had the great competition with the Reds, you know, and then, of course, the Yankee-Dodger World Series, which was the ultimate. You know, that continuity of having a core group of guys out there, I, I think, really makes a difference. And, you know, I, I said that. I did uh, Fox 11 Los Angeles pre and post last couple of year World Series. 
And uh, I ultimately said, if, if, if we're not going to win, it probably ultimately will be because of a defensive play here or there that not because of lack of talent, but because of lack of continuity playing together that might make the difference. So, uh, you know, hopefully not this year. Hopefully those kind of situations don't arise and, and you know, the, the key strikeout or the line drive double the opposite field will make a difference. So we'll see. Steve, thank you so much for the time. I truly appreciate it, and good luck to your Dodgers the rest of the way. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you. The great Steve Garvey. All right, you can text me at 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. I do have to reply to the 480. What area code is that? I think that's Arizona. Like Phoenix, maybe Calm, It says, calm down about state taxes. They make more money than they can spend in a lifetime. Don't feel sorry for them. You have no idea what you're talking about. I deal with agents. I know state taxes are a big deal. You know how much more money Pablo Sandoval made? Because Massachusetts is a straight, five, it's a flat 5% tax versus what he made. It was like a difference of like $9 million. So 480, you do think $9 million is not a big deal? Oh, it's a big deal. How about Gary Sheffield? Remember the Piazza trade? And Sheffield was going to L.A.? Sheffield made the Dodgers pay him more money than what he agreed to on his contract to make up for the difference in taxes. If you don't think taxes are a big deal with professional athletes, you have, I'm, I'm responding to this person. We will have an update on Braves and St. Louis coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. We got another Hall of Famer show. By the way, Garvey, buying or selling Hall of Fame? Buying. He should be in. I, I agree. I, I, he was a great player. He, I mean, and it had huge moments. Huge moments. I mean, that Dodger team, you know, during the 70s, I'm trying to think. I got to look up. I got to look up Gar's overall numbers. But during the 70s, you know, you had, you had some great teams, right? The A's were a great team. You had the Reds were a great team. The Dodgers were a great team. The Yankees, the Orioles, your Pittsburgh Pirates, the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates, which, by the way, is really the first baseball team I remember. I am not a guy that's going to get on here and lie to you like a lot of people in my business. A lot of people in my business want to act like they remember everything. But now that I've had my own children, you don't remember stuff when you're three years old. I've had A's fans come up to me. Hey, you remember the... No, I was born in 1972, the first year the A's won the World Series. I was not watching baseball in 72, 73, 74. I didn't watch the Big Red Machine in 75 and 76. The first year that I recall sports was 79. And that's the year dominated by Pittsburgh. The Steelers would beat the Rams and the great Vince Ferragamo from the Bay Area. They beat the Rams. I remember that. It was either 
it was either a Swan or Stallworth in the back of the end zone. My first Super Bowl party ever was Raiders Eagles, the 1980 season, 81 Super Bowl. I remember that was my first Super Bowl party. Watching another great San Jose State Spartan lose, Dick Vermeil, <laughs> to my good friend Tom Flores, who I've gotten to know over the years. That was my first Super Bowl party. But the first first championships and and thank God I'm not a front runner like so many people, like like the great teams when you grow up. Like because like the Steelers and the Pirates were really good. Pirates were really good in the seventies. Like Willie Stargell, Dave Parker before he came to the A's, Bill Madlock, Kent DeColvey. I remember that that's the first like seventy nine eighty is when I first start remembering sports. And one of the reasons I I like the Raiders is that's when they were good. And then Marcus Allen, who I watched growing up in San Diego, went to Lincoln High. He was a star, like everybody in San Diego. And then, of course, he went to SC. And when you're at SC, you know, SC in Southern California is like an NFL team, back in, especially back in those days. And uh, Marcus Allen was a star. I loved Mar. I remember – I can't believe I did. I read Marcus Allen's book. It was terrible, but – I loved him. Marcus Allen was like one of my favorite athletes of all time. For me growing up, I, I lie and say that I, I remember the Pirates team that lost to the Braves when Barry Bonds couldn't beat out Sid Bream. And as you mentioned with the interview with they Glavin, won. They, they, they won their division three straight years. Yeah. Well, they have to show for it. What year were you born? 88. Oh, my God. You don't even remember those. You don't, so you, my first, you don't even remember Andy Van, the great Andy Van Slyke. I remember Andy Van Slyke, the Tigers coach, uh, pretty much. <laughs> my first Super Bowl was the Steelers-Cowboys Super Bowl. I remember that one. It was at 95 Super Bowl where Neil O'Donnell was the Steelers quarterback. Yeah. Uh, that was awful. Then uh, Cordell Stewart took over after that. And for me, you're talking about Marcus Allen, the kid growing Cordell up. Cordell Stewart out the, of Colorado. The quarterback that I grew up with, or athlete I grew up with, who was the same age as me, but we all loved what he did, was uh, the greatness of the Raiders quarterback that be won Terrell Pryor. Out we of, went, out of, he was a Pennsylvania guy. Jeanette High School, class of 08. I uh, was Jeanette, Jeanette High School, class of 07. Terrell and I are the same age, though. You went to high school with him? Yeah, I'm just I'm just uh, great, TP. I'm great ahead of him. My claim to fame is I outscored him in a high school basketball game. That's about it. So where, he he uh, I actually have a shirt that uh, I actually have a, a Raiders Terrell Pryor shirt. A jersey? Uh, uh, no, it, it says it's it's like unc let him free or whatever. It's like there's a cage on it. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, Terrell Pryor, where did he commit to play college hoops? I want to say was. Pitt. It was Pitt, yeah. Like I remember going to Pitt, going to basketball games in high school. Like I went because I was, uh, they were really good my senior year. Then they won the state title in football and basketball the year after I graduated. And I mean, Chip Kelly was there. I mean, they used to have like all the high end coaches that would show up. Paterno, um, I forget who was coaching Pitt at the time. I think it was Wanstat. Yeah, Wanstat was there. Like every big Trestle, all those guys all came to our high school. Our little rinky dink hundred student uh, graduating class of 07 high school. They were all there. I remember when Al Davis took him in that uh, supplemental draft. Supplemental draft, and I said that night on the air because, of course, I cover the Raiders. I was saying, if it was me, I would turn him into a hybrid player because he's not going to be able to play quarterback. I, I watch, and, and I like Terrell Pryor won me money. I mean, he Ohio State covered. They were dominant. They were good. Another kid from my high school played running back for them. So. I remember saying he's not going to play quarterback. There's no way he's playing quarterback. And, of course, Raider fans on the text line, you don't know you're doing. I'm telling you, the guy's skill set 
as a former look how many former basketball players have turned out to be incredible either tight ends or big wide receivers. Uh, it, that's why I checked. Tony Gonzalez is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Antonio Gates will probably be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Waller now with the Raiders. Oh, uh, he's very good too. So I was like, can you imagine what a goal line threat? So having him try and play quarterback, remember that big run he had against the Steelers? And I'm that, like, is that like the longest run in Raiders history still? Something like that. Yeah, it was like 98 yards yeah. or whatever it was. Against his hometown team. I mean, bottom line, I, I remember going prior going, you got to turn that guy. And what happened? That happened exactly. And he became a thousand yard receiver at the Browns, and then he never. How was he? He was he was probably a pretty big deal on campus, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's times I were going. I remember like you got to get the pass to go to the bathroom. I remember walking down the hallway, and he was right there, and he's on his phone. And our principal walk up, and put her arm around him, and they would start talking. And it's like, if that was me, I'd either be in detention or you take my phone from me. Yeah, he's 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 the star. Yeah, he brought, he made our school some money. He he was the star. And then you know, flash forward a couple years later, and he got kicked out of Ohio State for. Tattoos. Tattoos, yeah. And so. now Gavin Newsom is signing a bill to let college athletes benefit off off them. That don't even don't don't even get me started on that. The fact that people defend these schools. Take Ohio State. You realize Ohio State athletics brings in like two hundred million a year. Two hundred million. Ah, oh, these kids. But they're getting a free education. You know what? For the most part, these kids go in. Let me tell you, as a former scholarship athlete, their job at that school is to keep you eligible. Do you think they really care if you graduate? Now, my my coach, Sam Perraro, was a stickler on education. You think these football coaches really care if their kids graduate from college? As they, they pay people, all right, in college football, they pay people to put you in the right classes to keep you eligible. Not necessarily on track to graduate, but to keep you eligible, to keep you on the field. It's such a joke. College football is such a joke. Drives me in basketball. You know how much money they made off, uh, off the Fab Five in Michigan and those guys didn't get – well, they did get a dime because they were getting money out of the table. Telling people they can't make money. You know what? This is actually an interesting. I want you to text me at 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. Which athlete was the first athlete? Because people are weighing in on it right now. Who was the first athlete that made you love sports? It could be an A. It could be anybody else. We got someone chiming in right now, Cody. Their first memory was Sid Bream. Barry Bonds, Tyrannosaurus Rex with that bad arm. Remember when people, oh, Bonds is a five-tool player. No, he's not. His arm stinks. Now, he was a great defensive player. His instincts, you didn't need to line up Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds Barry Bonds would cut off balls and hold guys to singles as good as anybody I've ever seen. I, I don't like the man personally, but I have all the ultimate respect for what Barry Bonds was as a baseball player. And he was a Hall of Famer before the Roids. Not having Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame is a joke. But, yeah, Barry Bonds was not a five-tool player. He could not. He didn't have a great arm. Sid Bream with a, with, a, with, with a knee brace. With a knee brace scoring on you. How many? We should put that highlight up. How, how, many, how many times did that ball hit the ground, Bonds throw? By the way, let's play that highlight. Here's what's going on in the ALDS between the Cardinals and the Braves. 
Tying run at first, and Albee sends one in the air deep to right field. And this one's going to play. This one is going to be gone. Ozzy Albee's a two-run home run. The Atlanta Braves have taken the lead here in St. Louis. Right now, Bravos with the lead 4-3 to three in the top of the sixth inning. Already today, the Rays beat the Astros 10-3. Coming up, we got Dodgers and Nationals at 340, and then the Bombers up against the Twinkies 540 from Target Field. From one Brave to another, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Earlier today, I got a chance. Let's face it, if you're a baseball fan, growing up, you got to watch the Atlanta Braves. They're on TBS. Every game, every game was on. So you'd always watch Braves baseball, whether they were bad, whether they were good. That's why it's like when we had Dale Murphy on, it was really cool because you watched the Braves. I had cable as a kid. If you had cable, you had TBS. If you had TBS, you got to watch the Braves. So all the time, you know, they, they start at 3 o'clock, especially in the summertime. I mean, you'd watch Smoltz. You'd watch Glavin. You'd watch Maddox. So here's your challenge, Commander Cody. We've now had Smoltzy, and we've had Glavin. Can you get Greg Maddox? The guy's a white whale for me. Like, I've had my list. Billy Bean was on – the meet Billy Bean was on my list. That's crossed off. Getting Greg Maddox on has been something I've been trying to do for – what, I've been in this industry for f- six years? I've been trying for six years to get Maddox. I can tell you this. I've tried UNLV. I've tried everything. I can't get the guy. I've met Greg. So back when my career was over, I would go down to Las Vegas – and I was an instructor at the Las Vegas School of Baseball for their Christmas camps. So my best friend, his twin brother, was one of the guys who ran it. He played at Vegas, played for the Cubs, and he's now with the Red Sox. We would go, basically we'd go down there and party, and then we'd show up, and I, I would work with the little kids, right? And i just sit there and throw BP. I mean, these were like real little kids. Are you sure these little kids, one of them wasn't Bryce Harper or Chris Bryant? Uh, probably not, because it would have been about, it would have been like 90, 95, 96, 97 that I did it. I mean, those guys are so young. They're younger than me. Literally, I'd sit on a bucket with an L screen and just throw BP to these little kids, just trying to hit their bat, right? I mean, they were so young. And um, Greg Maddox, the guy who ran the camp, was best buddies with Greg Maddox. Maddox is from base, from, from uh, Vegas. Maddox... Literally, for us, the coaches of the camp, he signed baseballs like like you wouldn't believe for all of us. I gave away Maddox signed baseballs for Christmas because it was Christmas. So after that, I I, I flew back home. Um, yeah, and he was the nicest guy. I mean, just the and you wouldn't know that. I mean, he he drove a Lexus and he had the glasses on. He looked like an everyday guy. He didn't look like, you know, I mean, he's Greg Maddox. He's like one of the greatest players of all time. Didn't act like it. Didn't big league anybody. Was the nicest guy. So get on Maddox. Here, you want another Hall of Fame? This is why you listen to A's Cats Live. We have Hall of Famers, the greatest players of all time. Earlier today, I caught up with Tom Glavin, a man that won, what was it, 305 games? You want a resume? 
He won 305 games, 10-time All-Star, World Series champion, two-time NL Cy Young Award winner, World Series MVP. He led the National League in wins five times. Here is my conversation with the great Tom Glavin. Well, the Braves are still in the playoffs. They're taking on the St. Louis Cardinals, and now joining us is truly one of the greats of all time. He's a Hall of Famer, a 10-time All-Star, a two-time Cy Young Award winner. He also led the league and wins five times a World Series champion and, let's not forget, was a terrific hockey player drafted by the Los Angeles Kings. The great Tom Glavin is with us here on A's Cast Live. Tom, how have you been? Uh, I'm doing great, thanks. How you doing? We're, we're doing well, and let's just talk about the rebirth of baseball going on right now in Atlanta. You open up another new ballpark and the team in the playoffs right now against the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot going on. Uh, you know, certainly uh, the new ballpark um, has added a lot of excitement, and, uh, you know, I think certainly the team on the field has, has been a ton of fun to watch, um, you know, defending – National League East Division champions now this year, which I think was probably uh, maybe a year ahead of time. I, I think last year's uh, division win was probably a little bit of a surprise. I think uh, most of us felt like the team was going to be real competitive last year. But, um, you know, they surprised everybody and won the division and, and turned around and backed it up this year. So there's a really good vibe uh, around that club right now and, and with the new ballpark and everything that's going on around it. Um, you know, it's fun to be a part of it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, very reminiscent of what was going on uh, with the ball club in the early 90s when I was a part of it, and, and we kind of started that run of uh, consecutive division titles. So there's uh, there's a definite air of excitement around them. They've got a lot of young players that are fun to watch and uh, guys that people can identify with. So uh, it's all around good times right now in Atlanta. Yeah, you guys talk about your run. Your guys' run was, it was crazy. You're not supposed to win every single year. No sport is set up like that to where you win your division every single year. Like, like we're looking at the Dodgers right now, and you go, wow, the Dodgers have won it seven years in a row. You go, that's nothing compared to what you guys did. What was that like to where every year you're winning the division, and every year you know you're going for the World Series? You know, it's one of those things that I think um, when you're when you're going through it, you, you probably don't pay attention to it the way you should. Um, I think maybe you, you, you just kind of get in. You go into it every year. You know you have a good team. You want to defend your title. You want to win your division. You want to get in the playoffs and have a chance at the World Series. So, I mean, that's kind of your mindset. And, and I don't think really until it's either over or you're done playing to where you really get a chance to step back and, and evaluate it and realize how unbelievable it was. Now, Given that, I don't, I don't say that when you're doing it, you don't appreciate it because we did. I mean, I think we all appreciated how special what we were doing year in and year out was, but I don't think you have, really have the opportunity to truly appreciate it, if that makes sense. You can, you know, you can enjoy it and, 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 and what have you, but it's hard to really appreciate exactly what you're doing until you're no longer in, in the middle of it. And, and I think that's what we were. We knew we had, we knew we had good teams every year. We knew we were going to have competition every year. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we took it for granted because we knew that, you know, you're an injury away from a lot of things changing. Uh, the beauty of baseball, there's always a team that comes out of nowhere every year. So you're always guarded against that. So, I mean, I think we, uh, we, we expected to win every year, but we didn't take it for granted that we were going to win every year. And, and, you know, just kind of went about our business of, of each and every year trying to put, 
you know, put that best effort forward and, and try and create an opportunity for ourselves to win our division and get into a postseason. You know, I think about this team now, and as you said, very similar as you guys were in the World Series in 91, and you got a, you got young players and you got guys in their prime and you got veteran players. Talk about how you see the similarities of how the roster is built between your guys' team in the early 90s and what you have now in Atlanta. Well, there are a lot of similarities. I think, uh, you know, when you look around the roster, uh, it's very similar to where we were in 91 and 92. They've got a lot of talented young players um, and, and a nice mix of veteran guys to go along with it. So, you know, you look at our team in, in 1991, uh, you know, we were a surprise team. We, we thought we were going to be competitive that year, which, to be honest with you, was really not all that lofty of an expectation because we were so uncompetitive for the years leading up to that, uh, that, you know, for us to go into the 91 season feeling like we had a chance to be a 500 club or better, um, you know, that was, on the one hand, I guess maybe not so lofty an expectation, but when you're coming off of, you know, 100 lost seasons, it would have been quite a jump for us. It just so happened that our acceleration, I think much like the Braves' acceleration last year, was probably a year or two ahead of schedule, and everything came into place. But, you know, you look at the similarities. We had a very young, talented pitching staff. I think the Braves are the same way with, with Fulton Avich, Max Fried, and Mike Soroka all being young guys that are kind of uh, making their mark right now, still trying to figure out who they are, but obviously have a ton of talent. Uh, the everyday lineup has young guys like Albies and Swanson and, and Ronald Acuna. We had guys like Justice and, uh, you know, Ronnie Gant and guys like that. And then, you know, they have the nice mix of, of Freddie Freeman and Marcakis and McCann and, you know, a couple of the guys in the back end of the bullpen and similar to what we had with Pendleton and Sid Bream and, uh, and you know, Rafael Belliard, say. So it's that good mix. I think it's that mix that provides an opportunity to have some long-term success with this group. It's not the kind of thing where, uh, you know, they're, they're all going to get old together or anything like that. I think there's a nice mix of, like you said, the young guys, kind of the middle-of-the-road guys, and then the veteran guys. And, and I think it's a formula that certainly worked well for us through the 90s and, and another a formula that I think they're trying to duplicate, duplicate here, excuse me, with this team currently. You know, we had your former teammate John Smoltz on, and we are talking to Smoltz about your guys' run, and I asked him this question. I want to ask you the same question about you guys acquire Greg Maddox. And now, you know, because I think about Verlander, I think about Cole, I think about Grinky, I think about you three. You guys were so dominant. You played golf together. You were friends. But you competed against each other and you pushed each other. What was it like when you added Greg and how did that elevate all your games? Well, you know, I think it was a it was a case where you know you look at it and you go, you know, we've we've already got a pretty good um, starting rotation, and it's hard to imagine it getting significantly better. But then when you add a guy like Greg, it's like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, we just went from being pretty good or really good to unbelievably good potentially. So, you know, anytime you add a guy like that, it obviously you know. It, it makes your ball club better, but I think the beauty of the three of us together for as long as we were, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. We drove each other. We motivated each other. I mean, it was the kind of thing that we understood that in order for our team to achieve the expectations that everybody had, we had to uphold our end of the bargain, and that meant we had to go out there each individually and, and achieve certain things. And uh, none of us wanted to be the guy that was having the bad year 
that caused you know the the thing to get off the rails in any way, shape, or form. So there was a lot of competition in that regard. We wanted to be we wanted to up, uphold our end of the bargain. We didn't want to be the weak weak link in the chain, so to speak. And you know because of that, we all worked extremely hard at what we were doing. And and I think it was the kind of thing that. You know, we had friendly competitions with our batting and bunting and fielding and all those things, which, you know, uh, were fun and were designed for us to work hard at it and try and be better than each other. But when it came to pitching, there was, you know, there wasn't a competition in terms of, hey, I want to I want to be better than him and I want to have more attention than him or anything like that. It was it was really a case where, you know, if I followed Greg on a, you know, on a given turn in the rotation and he went out and threw a you know, a four-hit shout-out, I wanted to throw a three-hit shout-out. And then Smolty wanted to come behind me and do one better. So I think that was the kind of thing that we had, the kind of thing that drove us. Um, you know, I think it was uh, the kind of thing, too, that it was always nice knowing that if you, if you had a bad game, you had one of those guys coming behind you uh, to kind of get things back on track a little bit. And, and for me personally, I, I always say this, and I, and I think the other guys will agree with me, but I don't certainly want to speak for them or put words in their mouth. You know, it's always difficult being a number one in a rotation because there are a ton of expectations on you uh, when you're the number one guy. But with our setup the way it was, any one of us could have been the number one at any given time. And, and you know, any given year, you know, any one of us was the opening day starter. I felt like it took a ton of pressure off of me knowing that those two guys were with me in the rotation and were behind me because, like I said, if you had a bad game, you knew those guys, one of those guys was coming behind you and, and going to get things back on track. And I think that helped to alleviate some of that sense of, oh, my God, I'm the number one guy. Every time I go out here, we better win because if I don't, who knows when we're going to win again. We didn't have that. So I think that enabled the, all of us to relax a little bit and, and just kind of be a little bit more free in terms of, you know, how we approached our starts. And, and I think, like I said, at least for me, I think it's, that made me better, and, and being around those guys every day made me better watching them and having them as another set of eyes watching me if there was something that I was struggling with and trying to fix. You know, covering the Braves right now, I, I bet this is not easy for any of you guys. When you talk about Acuna Jr. and, you know, the lack of hustle, being benched, now we got a throat slash – if you could sit down with him and you could give him advice, he's a young player, he's so dynamic, he's so good, what advice would you give to him? Well, it's interesting because after, you know, game one of the series where, you know, he didn't run out the ball that he thought was going to be a home run and ended up getting a single instead of an extra base hit and then compounds it with another base running mistake and gets doubled off on a line drive, you know, I, I do a radio show here in Atlanta every Friday morning, and obviously that was that was the topic of conversation. And, and my point in that interview was the fact that we're having this conversation should be enough for Ronald to realize that he needs to stop doing this stuff because he is a tremendous baseball player. And the conversation surrounding him should be about his skills on the baseball field. It shouldn't be about all this other stuff. So I think for him, he needs to understand that. He needs to come to that understanding that, hey, I need the conversation about me to be about what I'm doing on the baseball field and how well I'm doing, not this speculation about am I playing hard, am I not playing hard, or all this other stuff. So, you know, it's just for me, it's unnecessary noise, and I would tell him that. I would tell him, listen, go out there, you play the game, and let your production on the field be the topic of conversation 
not whether or not you are hustling on the baseball field, that there's just no reason for that, you know? So I hope he comes to, to the realization that it's unnecessary noise. I mean, you know, when, when Brian Snicker pulled him out of a game uh, in August or what have you, you know, a lot of people are under the impression, well, that's the first time that happened and, and Brian pulled him out of the game. Hopefully it won't happen again. The problem is it wasn't the first time. It was just the, the almost the last straw, so to speak, that, that Brian felt like he had to do something more than have a conversation with him. And I think that the reaction you saw from his teammates after that game one, uh, where they all had to answer those questions and they were, you know, they were for them, they're a very tight group and they're very close, close lipped about what they say about that, each other within that group for them all to him for, to a man to pretty much criticize Ronald for his lack of hustle in that game. I think that says a lot. And that's the kind of stuff that he needs to come to realize. Hopefully he will. He is young, but at some point in time, being young is no longer an excuse and you've got to own up to things. So hopefully that's going to happen sooner than later because he is a tremendous player. Let's end on this. A lot of people, obviously you're one of the great baseball players of all time, but a lot of people don't know you were drafted ahead of hockey hall of famers. You were drafted ahead of Brett Hall, ahead of Luke Robitaille in the 1984 draft of the LA Kings. How good of a hockey player were you? Uh, I was pretty good. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not going to toot my own horn too much, but trust me, anytime I see either one of those guys, I remind them that I was drafted ahead of them and they don't like that too much. But, um, but you know, I'll say this: people have asked me this all the time. I was a, I was probably a better hockey player coming out of high school than I was a baseball player. I was much more polished. Uh, as a pitcher, I was very raw. I didn't know what I was doing. I got on the mound and I threw the ball and I threw it as hard as I could and I had a good arm and that's why I got drafted. Uh, as a hockey player, I was more polished. Uh, I had a lot more going on uh, in terms of the whole scope of my game than I did at baseball. And like I said, I was just a, I was a thrower with a good arm that turned into a pitcher, but I, I think I made the right decision. Well, I'll tell you this, because of TBS and when I was growing up, we've got, we got to watch you guys. It, it, it's amazing that that Superstation allowed us to experience Atlanta Braves baseball and all your winning. I mean, there's, there's been other great teams, but the exposure you guys had, it's, it, you feel like you know you guys because we got to watch all of your starts on TBS. It was amazing. Yeah, and that was a neat dynamic for us, you know, and, and, you know, I think the Dallas Cowboys will always forever be America's team, uh, but we were right there for a while. I mean, you know, like you said, we were on TV every night across the country, and I think sometimes you lose sight of, of the scope of how many people get to watch you, but when we would go on the road, some of the crowds that we would have on the road uh, were just unbelievable, and, and it was in large part because those people got to watch us every night. They, they saw us. Even though we weren't in Atlanta, they watched us every night on TV. And, and, you know, I still have a lot of people that will come up to me even today and say, man, I grew up watching you guys and TBS was great and we got to see you guys all the time. And, you know, that's neat. You forget sometimes, the, like I say, the, the scope of, of exposure that you have with people. But uh, that was a neat time and a, and a unique time uh, in the broadcast world where, you know, we were one of the few teams that were on every night and, and people across the country really got to know you. It was pretty cool. Yeah, you could be watching Gilligan's Island or the Brady Bunch, and all of a sudden it's Braves baseball. It was hilarious. Tom, <laughs> hey, thank you. Exactly. Thank you so much for the time. It's an absolute honor to have you on the program. Continued success, and we'd love to have you on again. All right, I'd be happy to do it, and I thanks, for, thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. I mean, seriously. 
is why I love this show. This is why I left terrestrial radio for moments like that. That dude's one of the greatest players of all time. How many radio stations, terrestrial radio, are having Tom Glavin, the Hall of Famer, on today as the Braves are playing? How many? I'll tell you, zero. You are getting the best guest in all of baseball. it's, It's Commander Cody is killing it. This is why I stole him. That's a good get right there. Congratulations. Thank you. I do have something for you that you requested. Now, it's the audio. Uh, by the way, breaking news. Do you have your breaking news sounder? Oh, give me a second to find it. It's This iTunes uh, is, is a lot more difficult than what we used this to use in millenni- terrestrial radio. This millennial technology that we have to deal with? We have breaking news. And I will cover you for only so long. But, yeah, I mean, to have Tom Glavin on, and then we're going to Burt Blylevin, we're having two baseball Hall of Famers in one day. The A's season may be over, but A's cast is never going to leave you. A's cast live, I should say, and also A's cast. Pit the sounder. Live from the ABC Sports Desk in New York, I'm Chris Towns. It has been announced that Justin Verlander will be throwing on three days rest tomorrow in St. Petersburg. Wow. They're worried. So, yes. One loss and all of a sudden Jeffrey Luno and A.J. Hinch. Where's the panic button? How long does it take you to bring the panic button up? So the once we thought unbeatable... Houston Astros, uh, yeah, they're doing this. What's Verlander's career on three days rest? I know he's done it in the past. I, th- I, I, I got to say there's at least one loss in there when he was with the Tigers on three days rest, if I remember correctly. Then it's also been announced that the Rays up against Justin Verlander on three days rest. They're going to go Diego Castillo. They're going to use the opener. That guy is nasty. He is nasty. Him and Alvarado are both nasty out of the bullpen. So, well, he's starting tomorrow. Who will be the follower or the bulk guy? Don't know. Maybe Yarbrough or Chirinos. So it's Verlander on three days rest versus the opener tomorrow in St. Petersburg, which will be, of course, a potential closeout game. We have a potential closeout going right now. Braves lead the Cardinals top of the seventh inning, four to three. You know, it's one, you, you, you know your ball club better than you know other teams. It's just the way it is. I have watched Braves baseball. I've seen a lot of highlights. I know how special Ronald Acuna Jr. is. But there's a problem there. Like today, he's three for four. I mean, he's an incredible talent. But, man, does this guy 
make really, really poor decisions. So game one, I was at a restaurant watching the game with my wife. And I look up. All right, first of all, this is the this is the game where he hits the three hundred and thirty something foot single. He doesn't hustle, and they don't end up scoring a run. I mean, he would have been on second base, nobody out. Would have been nobody out, right? I think he let off the inning, and they end up losing by a run. So it's a bad look. But then later in the game. He hits a two-run shot with his team down to make it seven to six. And he pimps it like unbelievable. So you've already made the mistake of pimping it, and it turns out to be a single. And now your team's down, and it, it was the pimp job of pimp jobs. And he did this shimmy going around third base. And I'm watching this in a restaurant going, Dude, your team is down in a postseason game. So the spotlight now is on him. New York Times is an article that it's his type of act that's hurting Major League Baseball. Agree or disagree, I don't know. But this is a really bad look. You're pimping a home run when your team's down. That's just that 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 that's tone deaf. I mean, that's just like, you don't get it. So then, in yesterday's game, at the end of the game, he, catch, he catches the fly ball. To, to the, the game, game's over. He then does the throat slash. And I was just like, Bro, you truly aren't getting it. Like, the spotlight is on you, right? Carlos Martinez did not like how he pimped the home run on him. So there's just another example because people have tried to make it out, let's be honest, that it's just the the American-born players. Let these kids play. Well... Carlos Martinez threw high and tight on him. He's from the Dominican Republic. Okay? So this old adage that there's just a it's just, just a it's the American players who don't like being shown up. They don't understand. Okay. That's not the case. That is not the case. So you have a guy from the Dominican and you got a guy from Venezuela. And the guy from the Dominican didn't like the guy from the Venezuela from Venezuela pimping the home run on him, especially when the team's down. And then he does the throat slash. At 21 years old, you heard Tom Glavin say this was sitting him down was the last resort. You're in the postseason. They've written an article about you in the New York Times. The spotlight's on you, and you still do the throat slash? Like, this guy didn't get it. He clearly does not get it. And I don't know what you do. He's a terrific talent. But guys like this, at this age, they will wear on your clubhouse. 
What do you do? Commander, you were like, no way do you bench this guy. And you've even changed. You've changed on that because of his act. I thought the whole time that they, when they benched him in the, if he, if Brian Snicker really wanted to send a message, you bench him in the postseason. Because remember, we debated that for a while when he did it back in August. And now that he's done it, you know, he, he sat down and he does it again. I, I don't know what's going to help him. And Carl, I told you this earlier, Carlos Martinez is, is kind of a hypocrite because yesterday when uh, Billy Hamilton was on second base, he turned around and blew a kiss to him. It's like, come on, man. You just criticize Acuna for doing what he did, and then you're going to do antics of your own on the mound. I get it. Acuna's is a lot worse. What he's what he's doing. I mean, the guys. There's a lot of comparisons to him being the, you know, the, the best talent we've seen in baseball since Mike Trout, and he he's shown he also had a 40 40 year as a 20 year old kid, but if he doesn't get it, remember Puig. Remember how bad Puig was when he first came up. Puig eventually kind of learned. Now he's everyone's friend. Well, so. I just saw this video. I don't. I, I, I so Acuna did respond to the lack of hustle. We got to let. But he's being. I mean, it's like his axe tired. He's got 20 singles of 300 feet or more. 20. He's got eight singles of 330 feet or more. This is a – we, we got to get – this is really, really – I mean, you want to talk about you want to talk about behavior that's just inexcusable. I mean, that's crazy. And what do you do? Because the, you need him. I mean, obviously, he's having a great game today. Well, join us once again as one of the greatest pitchers to have ever lived. He's a Hall of Famer. He does a great job broadcasting for the Minnesota Twins, arguably one of the greatest curveballs of all time. The great Burt Blylevin is with us before the Yankees and the Twins game. Burt, it's great to have you on the program again. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on. Thank you very much. You know, recently I was in Minnesota. I also work for the Raiders. I do the sidelines for the broadcast. And we came over. to. I brought Brent Musburger over to uh, Target Field, and we, we roamed. I got to tell you, they did an unbelievable job with Target Field. What a beautiful place for baseball. Oh, they really did, and you know, U.S. Bank is not that. Uh, uh, you know, that's a beautiful stadium too. So, yeah, the uh, five-state area, especially in Minnesota, they uh, love their sports, and uh, it's nice that uh, they're able to build a field like Target Field, and uh, you know, also U.S. Bank and also Target Center where the uh, Wolves play. They do a great job there. Yeah, U.S. Bank. I thought what was so interesting is we've seen so many places that have become so big in sports that the fans just get further and further away from the field. But for the Vikings game, it's like they built – they didn't build out and up. They just built straight up. So it feels like the Viking fans are right on top of the field. Isn't that cool, though? I mean, baseball's really done that with all the new ballparks. Of course, target field, and that's why I'm so happy baseball is putting the netting all the way down that third baseline and first baseline because fans are so close to the game now compared to the stadiums that were, say, 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, before we uh, before we get to tonight's action, Yankees and the Twins, we just had on Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer. You're a Hall of Famer. When, when you get to that level and you guys get together every single year in Cooperstown, what, what is it like to be a part of that fraternity? 
Well, it's pretty cool. You know, Tom Glavin was a great pitcher for the Braves. Of course, Greg Maddox joining him, John Smoltz, uh, you know, uh, Chipper Jones. But, you know, we pitchers, we don't talk to the hitters. We never did anyway. <laughs> we don't like hitters. So we pitchers kind of stick together, you know. We kind of hang out at the bar, and, you know, and if a hitter walks in, we, we turn our heads. What was that moment? where you're either at the hotel or you're, you're at the museum where you just you saw somebody, something happened, you went, oh, my God, I'm a baseball Hall of Famer. Well, you know what? Uh, when I played with Cleveland, Bob Feller always came every spring to spring training, and he, I got to know him. And I think the, as a broadcaster and a retired player, I really enjoyed – my time when I went to Cleveland and had lunch or dinner with Bob and just talked baseball. He actually wanted to talk more about the military, his days in the military, and, uh, you know, what he did so well for our country during World War II. But, you know what, uh, just to be able to say that you're a Hall of Famer, of course, is, is a great honor. And to rub shoulders with guys, you know, that uh, have been the greats of the past, it is a great honor. So what do the Twins need to do to get over this hump against the Yankees? Because they've really struggled against the Bombers. Well, you know what? Twins are, of course, they're behind the eight ball right now. They have to win three in a row. You start with one tonight. It comes down to starting pitching, always does. Jake Odorizzi, you know, has averaged about five and a third innings uh, in his 32 starts this year. So he's got to go out and pitch five very good innings. I think as a former pitcher, I always looked – especially when I got older, if I could pitch three shutout innings at the beginning of the ball game, that's going to be important, I think, for Oder Rizzi tonight against the Yankee lineup. It's a powerful lineup. It's a good lineup, and it's a lineup that, uh, you know, you look at that and the Dodgers and Houston and some of these other ball clubs that are fighting to get to the World Series. You know, the Twins offensively put up great numbers this year, and the bats have to come alive, and score hopefully seven or eight runs and that's about the way you're gonna beat the Yankees you almost have to outslug them yeah and I'm thinking about this year Bert and it's pretty amazing when you look at the 107 wins by the Astros 103 wins by the Yankees 101 wins by your twins and then here the A's they win 97 games you got the Twins when I mean the uh, Rays win ninety six ninety seven wins only gets you into a wild card game. How crazy is that? <laughs> and that was quite a game between Oakland and, and the Rays, two organizations that have really relied on making trades and building within their minor league system. Of course, the Rays winning today, keeping uh, that series alive. But uh, it's a it's, there's some good organizations out there, and then there's some organizations like. I'm going to say Detroit, uh, you know, or Kansas City. They have to rebuild. They have to go back to hopefully these minor league players can come up through their system and produce. So, you know, the budgets are high on some ball clubs, but they're very low on other ones. When you have a game plan as a pitcher and you're going up against a team that has the kind of power that either the Twins or the Yankees have, you want, I mean, obviously the objective is keep the ball in the yard, and if you are going to give it up, you only want to give up a solo shot. As a pitcher, what would your game plan be against this Yankees lineup? Well, first of all, i got to get ahead in the count. I think what we've seen in the first two ball, club, ball games, I think they're 13, 14 walks by the, started by the past staff of the Twins. They have to be more aggressive in the strike zone. You can't be afraid 
to make a mistake, uh, you have to get strike one. That that's simple. That that's been in baseball since it was founded. But you know, when you're always three one two one on a very good hitting ball club like the Yankees, they're going to take advantage of it, and they have. So the big thing is get strike one. You have to show these guys that you will bust that fastball inside. Keep them honest. Don't get them leaning out over the plate. And I think that's what Odorizzi has to do tonight is establish that fastball both sides of the plate. But he's a pitcher that pitches up in the zone. He doesn't keep the ball down very well. So, you know, he's got to get that good 93, 94-mile-an-hour fastball with that little giddy-up uh, to hopefully get by some swinging bats for the Yankees. And also seems so easy, but it rings true, is when you score first and you really get the crowd into the game. Well, especially here in Minnesota. You know, uh, you know they're, they're diehards. They really are. And we're, we're even the Yankee fans, they were awesome to listen to on the telecast that I watched. You know, the enthusiasm and, and the 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 ego that they have and Minnesota fans hopefully will come out and do the same thing root for your ball club hopefully good things happen yeah and because you, you don't want to go out this early you want to make it a series and you know talk about Nelson Cruz what what he has meant at the age of 39 you want to have young dynamic players but as you know to make runs you got to have that steady veteran presence yeah, I mean, Nelson Cruz is a leader. He's been a leader ever since he came up with the Brewers way back when. And, you know, he went over to Texas, had some great years, had four solid years with the Seattle Mariners, became a free agent, and the Twins uh, offered him a contract. It really probably below market, but he took it, and he had a fantastic year again, over 400 major league home runs. The guy is a leader not only on the field but off the field. And it, it, the organization did well when they not only got Nelson Cruz, they got Jonathan Scope, they added Marwin Gonzalez uh, in spring training, and they got C.J. Crone. So, you know, it's a powerful hitting ball club. And, you know, Kepler, and, and they missed Byron Buxton, of course, out in center field. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Rosario, I think, uh, led the club in runs batted in. And then you got big Miguel Sano, you know, at third base. And Polanco had a great year at short. Uh, hopefully he'll be steady. And then Mitch Garver and uh, Jason Castro, the two catchers, have done a good job. So it's a good ball club. They hit two, I think, 276 as a team. Over 300 and, I think, what, 307 home runs, one more than the Yankees. So it's a good offensive ball club. But it comes down to pitching in these uh, seven-game series or five-game series what the Twins find themselves now. You never know what you're going to get with a guy that's never managed before. So tell us what a season has been like with Rocco Baldelli as the Twins manager. You know, I had an opportunity to be in spring training for the first two weeks with the pitchers and catchers and just listening to Rocco's theory on, hey, guys, you know, we don't have to stand out here for four or five hours and do our PFPs, and you know what you need to do. You're grown men, okay, you want to make this ball club, you want to do the best you can, put the work in. And it doesn't mean you have to have to stand around for four hours. Get it in, get it out, enjoy it. Uh, you know, take every game, one game at a time. It's, it's the same baseball theory, but sometimes when there's always a new mouth that's leading, Rocco Baldelli has been that new mouth and he's done a good job. So it's been announced by the Astros that Justin Verlander is going to start game four on three days rest. How did you feel about that in your career? 
I, I think pitchers today should pitch every fourth day. I came up in 1970 with a four-man staff. I don't think the fifth starter came in until the late 70s. I love pitching every fourth day. So I, I think Justin will be fine. The guy's a workhorse. Uh, you know, if, if he falters, then you what? You got Cole in game five? My goodness. That, that's a pretty good combo right there. And let's end on this. There's so much talk now about spin rate and all these different things. You had one of the greatest curveballs of all time. What was? What do you think Burt Blylevin's spin rate was back in the day? Well, it was probably pretty good if they missed it. If I hung it, it probably wasn't very good. So, uh, you know, we didn't have all that stuff. We didn't have the analytics. You kind of had to feel the hitter that was at the plate if he's leaning in. Maybe you got to bust him on his butt a little bit. Not only, you know, my best conversation when I was 19 years old, I had a, I was with the uh, Minnesota Twins. We were playing the Angels in Anaheim, and I got to sit down because of my Marv, my pitching coach was Marv Grissom. He knew Don Drysdale. And, of course, I grew up in Southern California. I idolized Colfax and Drysdale. And to be able to sit down and listen to him talk about pitching for about 15, 20 minutes, Everything he said went in one ear, and most of it stayed. It didn't go out to the other end because he was such a great competitor in the way that he went about his business. And, you know, these kids today, I don't know if they want to learn off the veterans. I don't know if they want to pick the brains like I did or, you know, having the opportunity to pitch with Jim Cott and Jim Perry and, you know, Louis Tiant, those type guys, Dave Boswell. Those were the guys, when I came up, you picked their brains. Stan Williams, Ron Paranofsky. I was very fortunate to have uh, uh, some some veteran players that kind of uh, took me in as a younger brother. Oh, Drysdale and Koufax. Can you imagine having to face them on back-to-back days? <laughs> hey, what a combo. Bert, thank you so much for the time. Good luck with your twins tonight. We're going to be rooting for you guys against the Yankees. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Let's uh, make it. Uh, let's let's get the Twins a win and see what happens in Game Four. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Burt Blylevin, the Hall of Famer. Having him on once again, sitting down with Don Drysdale. Can you imagine? Drysdale, Koufax. That's pretty good. I mean, it's. I'm not saying Cole and Verlander are there, but those guys are pretty good. By the way, I found the Justin Verlander three days rest stats. Because Sarah, Lang. Sarah tweeted it out, and I was like, I'm not going to waste my time looking when I know Sarah has it. All right. What is Verlander on three days rest? And I see that you also recorded, uh, what is it about Acuna? What, what it's, is it? It's the audio of him. It's Fred, They asked Freddie Freeman about it, and then they asked Acuna, Acuna about what happened, but it's via the translator. So you'll hear some Spanish and then the English translation uh, with the, in that audio. That's all coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. We're in the middle of the eighth inning. Braves lead the Cardinals 4-3. to three. Braves win. They move on. Bye-bye. Dodgers, Nationals, 340 today. Dodgers win. Bye-bye. And Yankees up 2-zip on the Twins. And, of course, if they win, it's ball game over for the Minnesota Twins. Bert's right. Their their facilities, they're in downtown Minneapolis. So it was Twins Royals on a Saturday night, 
and right next door is the arena. Miranda Lambert was playing. Don't laugh, Cody. That's country, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was, that's why I was laughing. I'm not a country guy. So. You're not a country person? I just know who the performers are, but. Miranda Lambert. And then on Sunday it was Raiders-Vikings. Their football stadium is dope. Is it the best one I've been to? It's probably the best one I've been to. Going to Green Bay in two weeks, though. Can't wait for that. Lambeau Field. When you texted us yesterday about the greatness of the Raiders, my response to you was, the Raiders are 1-0 when you're not there. <laughs> How about that, Raider fans? As John Gruden said, we can win anywhere in the world, baby. Any time zone. The greatness. Oh, and by the way, Khalil Mack. This is why they didn't want to pay him the big money. Because they felt he disappears. Didn't even want to talk to the media after the game, after he disappeared. I still think he's a great player. Wish he was still with the Raiders, but this is why. And they got they got themselves a running back. So, good game for the Raiders yesterday. It was a lot of fun to watch. And I wasn't there. Um, all right, Justin Verlander on three days rest. The great Sarah Langs, friend of the program, follower on Twitter, at S. Langs on sports. She literally is the best follow in baseball. She she just she breaks down stuff like you wouldn't believe. All right, Commander, how many times has Justin Verlander in his career started on three days rest? Well, this blew my mind because I always thought it was more than this. This is Verlander's second career start, regular season or postseason, on three or four few days. Three or fewer days rest. However, the only other one was the 2011 ALDS Game 3 following a one-inning pitch start in Game 1, which was suspended by rain. So it's his first start on three or fewer days of rest after a start of more than one inning pitch. The only other time, other than the ALDS Game 3, according to Sarah, when Verlander's pitched on three or fewer days rest was the 2017 ALDS Game 4 when he pitched two and two-thirds innings in relief following three days rest after a six-inning pitch, a six-inning start on Game 1. Verlander in four career postseason appearances, three starts, when his team has a chance to clinch a postseason series. Um, tell me if this is any good. A 105 ERA in 25 and two-thirds innings pitched, 30 strikeouts, four walks. Uh, two of those are against your Oakland Athletics, 2012 and 2013. But in, in elimination games, he's got a 1.05 ERA. That's pretty good. Wow. I mean, I mean, you just take away that Pablo Sandoval game that he had against the Giants in the World Series. I mean, his postseason. I mean, the, the dude's going to the Hall of Fame. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I, I don't remember what article that was back in the day where they said, I'm not sure if he's a Hall of Fame. Shut it was, up. It was, uh, wasn't it 538 that did that? It, whoever wrote that, it's like Verlander is going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. What do you think the odds are Verlander goes five? You got to remember, you just got to get 75%. You don't think when his career is over, like – we had on Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin got like 91.9. You're trying to tell me that when it's time to vote for Justin Verlander in the first year of eligibility, you're trying to tell me he's not going to get 75% of the vote? I mean, he better. But you know how some of these old these old baseball writers are, where they're like, nah, you know, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. There's less of those guys. Those guys have been weeded out. I like, mean, it, it, there's they have weeded out. I mean, we worked with somebody 
who didn't cover baseball anymore and now to vote. I mean, I, I look at a lot of those guys are no longer voting. Friend of the program. Also. Friend, great, great, great man. But it's just there's no way you're telling me that when it's all said and done, year one, he's not getting 75%. Oh, he's a first ballot. Oh. I, I, totally, I totally think if he doesn't, it's a, it's a, it's a shame because I always thought it was a shame that Griffey wasn't the first uh, – that Griffey wasn't the first unanimous Hall of Famer, him and Maddox, because those are two guys that grew up in my era that I watched play. I thought I still to this day think Greg Maddox is the greatest pitcher I've ever seen. For me, personally, he's the greatest pitcher I've ever seen, and Griffey's one of the greatest players. And neither one of those guys are unanimous. We had to wait till Mariano Rivera won in unanimously to be the first guy. And then Derek Jeter will probably be unanimous when he goes in. Yeah, and you're trying to tell me Derek Jeter is better than, than King Griffey Jr.? No, not even close. He's played on. He's made all the. He's won those all those World Series. That's no, automatic. The, the guy that should have been the first, the guy that should have been the first, is Henry Aaron. I also agree. Henry Aaron, most home runs when he was up for a ballot. Okay, think about this, folks. How great Henry Aaron is. Henry Aaron, when he retired, was number one in home runs, number one in RBIs, and third in hits. Third, only Pete Rowe. Well, no, he would have been second at the time because only Ty Cobb had more hits when he came up for the ballot. So you're trying to tell me somebody didn't vote for a guy that had the most home runs, most RBIs, and second most hits, and then the other guy playing with him, and they played in a ton of all-star games. Have you seen Willie Mays' numbers? Willie Mays' numbers are stupid. It's crazy. Was it 661 home runs, like 1,900, I mean, 3,000 hits? How do you not vote for Willie? And, and the guy played defense like it was unbelievable. And Henry Aaron was a good right fielder. How does Henry Aaron and Willie Mays not get all the votes? How does Babe Ruth not get all the Babe Ruth saved the freaking sport. Teams were going out of business. And this is, this is what kills me when people try and degrade Babe Ruth. Teams would be, like, broke. And he'd come to town, and it'd sell out for three or four games, and that would make them money till the next time he would show up. How do you di- – I mean, we don't even know. If there was never a Babe Ruth, I don't even know where baseball would be. The way people – the way people, ah, oh, Babe Ruth, he didn't play against it, he didn't play against – man, the guy saved the freaking sport. And his numbers are – and he hit home runs without the juice ball in ballparks that were around forever – that still modern-day players didn't hit the ball where he hit it. Going back to Verlander, and I'm looking at his stats because him and Cole's stats are so similar. What do you think the odds are he goes five innings and then they bring Cole in to close out the game? I know it's the ALDS, but still, I could see AJ That's Hinch, dangerous. And then he probably goes out and starts game one <laughs> if they win. That's that's. Which the game one's out till Saturday, so if they close out the series tomorrow, that'd be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's three days he'd have off if he pitches a few innings. Because Dave Martinez from the National said they're all hands on deck tonight, including Strasburg pitching in relief, which he did for Scherzer in game one. Huh. I don't know. I think I rather. Or the wild card game. I, ra- I rather keep Cole for game five. Yeah. I'm, but I'm curious to see what they do with their bullpen going forward because Miley struggled today. Because put it this way, if, if you go Verlander, Cole, and lose – all of a sudden, man, things change for the Rays. Because even if Verlander goes out and you lose, you still got Cole. The opener 
versus Justin Verlander. I think the Houston Astros will be highly favored. Uh, I think so. Like, again, Diego Castillo is very nasty coming up. How many does he go, though? Oh, he'll go one. I mean, then you got then you got eight innings to cover. He's on our guy Ryan Stanek, but they'll probably use Yarbrough. Yarbrough is the guy they've been they use, and he had a really nice year. He was the bulk guy. This is why if you're going to use the opener, you got to commit to it. You know who did really well with the opener this year was the Yankees. The Yankees, the Yankees. I I I don't remember what the actual record was. But I remember seeing at one point they they dominated with the opener this year because oh they got a great bullpen. I was like, have you seen their starting rotation? That's why they're opener. I mean, remember we were doing a thing where they were saying about using not using James Paxton, who's their best starter, because he was so horrible in the first, in first inning. inning. Yeah. Now they got Severino back, who's I think he's pitching tonight. Yes, against Odorizzi. It's a good, it's a good matchup. I like Odorizzi's had a nice year, turned around his career. It, it, what game would you rather watch? Take out market size. Would you rather watch? Houston, Tampa, or New York, Minnesota? Houston, Tampa. Exactly. But that's the early game because of market size. Oh, got to get the Yankees in prime time. Got to get the Yankees in prime time. I, I don't need to see the Twins lose 16 straight games in the playoffs and 13 to the Yankees after tonight. I'm pulling for the Twinkies tonight. I'm a Twins fan tonight. I, w- I want to see them win. I, I always root for them because I love Joe Maurer. Now Maurer's not there, so I really don't have a rooting interest. But I like watching the Rays and the Astros because they're both guys, teams that are analytically driven, like the A's. So I'm always going to root for those teams. Is anybody not analytically driven at this point? Well, those two teams are at the forefront of it. And player development. With the, Who? With the Astros and th- those two and the Dodgers. Oh, the Yankees. The Yankees have the biggest staff of them all. They've got like 20 employees. they got like 20 analytics people. A's got four. they got 20. Yeah, but they're still, they have Aaron Judge and, and Stanton and guys. They're still paying a lot of money. to The, 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 the Rays have the lowest pro in baseball. Yeah, the highest paid player in franchise history is Charlie you, Morton. Joe Girardi showed Ray Fossey the packet that he has for every game, and Foss said it was like a book. They have so many analytics. The Yankees are, you know, we just think of them as money, but they're not spending the most money anymore. But the Yankees have the deepest analytical department of anybody in baseball. Well, wasn't the story Cashman reached out to Billy and asked Billy about 1998. it? 1998. So 21 years ago. Yeah, thanks, Cashman. Billy. Thanks for helping him out. But did you know that about did you know that about Morton? He's the highest paid player in franchise history for the race. Next to sign him this offseason. He made more than Longoria, Carl Crawford. Per year, but Longoria's deal was yeah, the biggest. But per year, AAV, yeah. he's the highest. But paid Longoria's player. deal was a big deal. It was a long deal. The uh the Granky makes more money this year than the entire race lineup made all year that one that was one up against him today. Hembo had that stat earlier. That's incredible. That what? Zach Granky this season was making more money than every guy in the night and the in the starting lineup for the race today. That bugs me, by the way. That really, really bugs me. I don't know why. Like people applaud that. They're cheap. They're they're cheap. Oh, they do more with less. I mean, do, do you want that at your job? Who 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 wants to go out and work for somebody that's not market value and never wants to give market value and will do everything not to give market value? You don't want to play. That's why certain people didn't want to play in Oakland. 
Liam Hendricks, basically the all-star, Liam Hendricks, friend of the program, said on this program that it's well known that people do not want to play for Tampa. Like, you don't want to go there. You just shrug, oh, God. Like Tommy Fan. Remember Tommy Fan didn't want to go? Tommy Fan was like, oh, God. Can you imagine Tommy Fan going to a place that has the history like St. Louis playing in that ballpark, playing in front of those fans, the tradition? And you turn around, you got to go down there and play? He openly, ba- I mean, in a, in a kind way, said this place sucks. Playing in that dome, playing in that environment. And, oh, yeah, all they want to do is be cheap. But they take that check from Major League Baseball every year, don't they? They're the classic example. And I and, and we'll throw in Tigers, we'll throw in Orioles, we'll throw in Kansas City. Of why my theory of... If you're going to have a luxury tax to keep people from spending money, right? That's what that you have multiple luxury taxes. We're going to penalize you as, as Jim Crane is saying they don't want to go over the luxury tax. And that might be a problem with re signing Garrett Cole. We try and keep people from spending money, which is ridiculous. I've always hated salary caps. If you want to spend, you should have the right to spend as much as you want. But then, if you're going to tax people for spending money and trying, you should tax people for not spending. You should have a floor. Hey, Ray's, you you want to spend only $50 million? Well, you're going to get taxed for it. And then you're going to lose draft picks. Same way what you do for the guys who spend too much. When you spend, you're showing that the sport's healthy. Like, why would we applaud people for being cheap? I hate cheap. Cheap drives me nuts. When Commander Cody says he doesn't have cable, drives me nuts. I'm also cheap. I don't spend you're money. Because you're cheap. The most money I spent in the last year is I bought a car that I financed, and I'm Still complaining about it to this day. I don't spend. I don't like. I, I, I try to save my money. I don't spend money. Why? There's I, I, there's nothing for me to buy. What what, what are you gonna? You, you know you don't take that to the grave, right? Oh, I know. When you die, the money doesn't go with you. I, the best story I can tell you is I bought that sports coat for the broadcast we did on Wednesday for the wild card game to meet the commissioner. To meet the commissioner, I wanted to take it back after I wore it because I said I'm never going to wear this again. Yes, you will. Well, that then everyone's like, you know, you're going to wear it again. You're, but, you're in professional sports now. You're going to. No, yeah, I'll have to keep it. But that was one of the first things I thought. I was like, well, how can I return this and get my money back? I just, I'm frugal. I don't, I'm not hurting by any means, but I just don't spend my money. I don't why, just, why are you so worried about money? I'm not as worried as I used to be. Before, I was really worried, and then I went through a lot of stuff, like the meditation thing I told you about. That changed my mindset on everything. You didn't get hammered in your divorce. No, not well. I mean, I had to pay a little bit, but you had to pay a little bit. Yeah, I had to pay. Oh God! With no kids or property, the only property we had was the car that I was financing under my own name. But anyway, but I yeah, I just that's how I always been since high school to now. My parents aren't frugal at all. They're my parents are always blown away with how much I don't spend any money. It's just I don't know. It's a lifestyle choice. That sounds really really boring. 
It is. I'm a boring guy. You saw on Friday. I'm very boring. God. I spend. By the way, sling at its fox back. Now I can watch playoff baseball and NFL again. On your sling. What on is sling? sling? Sling's a streaming. It's just. It's a cable provider. It's just. It's streaming. It's. It has a bunch of channels. It's like thirty bucks a month. Does it have issues like delays or? No, I mean they took. Away, there was a huge thing with Fox and and Dish, and they took away. They took away uh, Fox off Sling, and then they. Add, I looked yesterday and they added back, so I got to watch the greatness of the Raiders versus the Bears in London, and then I got to watch all the playoff games. What do you use for internet? I have Comcast. I pay for that. I pay a lot for Comcast, but I have it. Yeah. Well, that was the one thing. Like, for 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 our needs here, in the uh, South Bay location. A's Road Studio, as we like to call it. The Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek Road, uh, A's Road Studios. We we got to have good internet. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, the old ISDN lines are gone. I had an ISDN line at my old house for 13 years. And the minute I moved when I bought the new house, all of a sudden I had this bill in front of me. And I'm calling to get my ISDN line switched over to here. And no one knew what it was. I'm like, you're billing me. Yeah, we don't know. So everybody in sports has gone away from the old hard line, as we like to call it. And uh, now everything goes over the Internet. And I can tell you with this new technology, like there were times when we were doing the Warriors. So arenas constantly have different stuff coming into town. And so they got all these guys that once the game's over, just start ripping cords, right? They got to, you know, they got to make the change for whatever's coming to town. There was this is the Golden State Warriors, by the way, the best basketball team in the world. Multiple times, post game show was taken off the air because they would pull the cords, and our internet's gone. And once the internet's gone, what we call a Comrex, how we broadcast, it's off. Next thing you know, I'm having to call in with my phone to keep the show going. Tim Roy, multiple times, got taken off the air on the road when these guys just come in because they're union guys, they don't care. They don't care at all if your broadcast could say uh, they just start you know, un- unplugging everything. Tim Roy did multiple postgame shows by phone. By the way, do we have the Okay. Let's play this. This is after the game where he doesn't hustle and then he pimps a home run with his team losing. Freddie Freeman and then it's Acuna with his translator. Remember, New York Times has recently done an article where let me get the uh, title. Let me get the title real quick here. It's something along the lines of Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing his part in ruining baseball. Says, is that correct? Braves Ronald Acuna is doing his part in ruining baseball. From the New York Post, not the New York Times. It was the New York Post. Here's Freddie Freeman after that first loss and talking about his star, center fielder. Playoffs are all about hustle all the time, full go. Acuna, again, not getting out of the box. How disappointed are you in him when you have a conversation with him aside? Hey, it's playoff time. you got to step it up. Yeah, it's, it is. It's frustrating, but um, I think you have that conversation once. Uh, become a dead horse, kind of beat the dead horse after, you know, if you keep having that same conversation over and over again. Um, he, 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 I, I mean, you got to know that that was a mistake. So that can't happen in the playoffs. Can't happen in the regular season. So um, unfortunately, that happened tonight. After getting benched in the regular season for not hustling, how do you explain what happened tonight? Después de lo que pasó durante la temporada regular, cuando este sneaker salió del juego, cuéntanos cómo explica lo que pasó esta noche. 
Bueno, son cosas que, que pasan, son cosas que están en el juego. El que, el que está en la banca, el que no le pasan esas cosas, ¿me entiendes? Podría ser doble, pero son cosas que pasan. I mean, these things happen. It's baseball, you know. Those are the kind of things that happen. Um, you know, those things only, that's what I say, it's like, those things only happen to guys who are on the bench. You know, you get benched for that, so, but those things happen. Was that something that was on your mind or you felt bad about the rest of the game? Que si le diste pensamiento, si te sentiste mal de lo que pasó. No, me sentí mal. Yo salía lo mejor de mí como siempre. No, I was focusing on giving my best effort as always. What? That just happens? Not hustling? That just happens? That's baseball? I'm concentrating on giving my best effort? Wow. Once again... You know your team better than anybody. Actually, I had that conversation with C.J. Nikowski, former pitcher, now does TV for the Rangers, where you're so locked into your team because all you care about is, I mean, you care about your guys. I mean, you care about your team, right? I, I, I mean, I don't care about the Braves. I care about the A's. But now once you get into the national spotlight, wow. Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer, does radio and TV around the Braves. Didn't say this was that the benching of Ronald Acuna Jr. was just a, a learning point. It was a last-ditch effort. This is They've been dealing with this now for a while and it's sad I'm not buying that it's ruining the game but it really is it is a bad look and when you don't own up to it and you continue to do it when will the issue outweigh the talent that would be my question. Because I don't care how talented you are. Franchises will always move on. You're never, you're never better than the franchise. Case in point, Albert Pujols. And I hate to, Albert is such a good person from what I've heard. A great teammate. But he's, it's a classic example. Albert Pujols moved on, and the Cardinals still won a World Series. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's the, it, it is what it is. But you hate, you want to celebrate a talent like this, but now, I mean, whether he knows it or not, the fact that he's under the spotlight, the fact that he's being, this is what gets me too. The fact that he's being asked these questions after game one, and then game three, he's doing the throat slash. Like, don't you know everybody's watching you? Everybody's now having an opinion on you. It just shows he doesn't care. He's tone deaf. Hey, you didn't hustle in a playoff game. That's just baseball. No, it's not. 
professional athletes are expected to go full go all the time. Whether you're hurt, whether you have issues off the field, no matter what, you're getting paid. And you're getting paid to play. And you're getting paid to play hard. Did you actually see him round the bases when he hit that home run in game one? Did you see that shimmy he did around third base? Bro, your team's losing. You don't pimp home runs when your team's losing. Like, even the let the kids play crowd knows that. And I'm all about, hey, what the Dodgers did yesterday, what the Braves did yesterday, where everybody's going nuts and the benches are going crazy. Like, yesteryear, people would say, hey, you don't do that. No, I'm cool with that. Show emotion. We love seeing that. You know, Josh Donaldson, our guy, hits the double down the line. They take him out. And he's going nuts in the dugout. I love seeing that. But, bro, you're pimping a home run when your team's down? You're doing the throat slash? I don't know if he's book smart. I don't know. I don't know him. He may be the smartest book smart guy from a baseball-wise, he doesn't seem very bright. To keep doing it, no. But quickly, Carlos Martinez is pitching the ninth inning. Acuna, another hit. Four for five tonight, today. Four for five. So the Braves got to go on second base with one out. The Cardinals tied He's it. a great talent. There's, there, there's, I'm not denying it. But at some point, at 21 years old, and, and you just keep doing this kind of stuff, I mean, how many times are you going to bench the guy? I mean, how, how many times do you have to, before you might just be like, you know what? We could get a lot for him. He's on a very friendly, like, $100 million contract. Eight years, $100 million. And your attitude can outweigh your upside of your talent. It's just the way it is. And at some point, you just, you may, I don't know. I hate to do it. I I hate to do it, but... Oh, the guy got back to me, the the tax guy who didn't like me talking about taxes. Because I responded to him. So he was like, ah, I care state taxes don't matter. Oh, yeah, they do. I know agents. So I said, you have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, I do. The rest of society does not want to hear it. Society does not care about millionaires, billionaires, feel like they are being taxed too much. That's great. 480. But the bottom line is professional athletes. If you made that kind of money, you'd care about it. But you live in Arizona, where there is no state taxes. Or you have an Arizona number. People avoid taxes like the plague. Trust me. I'm someone who's been audited multiple times. It's horrible. All right. We're still 4-4 in this game. And coming up here, the Dodgers are about to start. They're going to the they're going to the bottom of the ninth inning, tied four four. Can the Cardinals stay alive? We're now in the top of the first between the Dodgers and the Nationals. Scherzer up against Turner at the plate. Here's a Dodger stat for you: the Dodgers have lost their last four games where they had their first chance to clinch a series: the 2017 NLCS, the 2017 World Series, the 2018 NLDS, and then the 2018 NLCS. Except for the 2017 World Series, they ended up getting another shot and closing it out. But this is the Nationals. And for some reason, they find a reason to lose. Are you ready for a little buying or selling to close this thing out? 
This is our first real show since the A's lost. We did the show after the wild card game, took Friday off, but now this is what this show will be like. You'll continue to get the great guest. We'll keep you updated on everything that is Major League Baseball. Justin Turner has just homered off Max Serger, 409 feet, and the Dodgers take a one to nothing lead. Scherzer has not been good. That's the bottom line. He wasn't great in the wild card game. He wasn't great down the stretch. Scoring early, man, does a lot for your ball club. And the confidence that the Dodgers have after they put up that seven spot yesterday on the Nationals, not going to be shocked if the Dodgers run away with this thing and the Nats are going home. Well, speaking of Turner, we're efforting the guy to help change his swing and make him the hitter that he is today. Don Lotta, who's actually helped a lot of guys fix their swings and and has kind of been characterized as the guy that started the fly ball revolution. He was a big part of the MVP machine book, and we're efforting to try to get him on Wednesday. Talk a little Justin Turner and home runs. So that's that's a tease. Who who was Justin Turner? Who was Max Muncy? By the way, before we get to buying or selling, a bunch of people have weighed in on that athlete. It was their first athlete that they really loved. I've seen Jose Canseco. I've seen Ricky Henderson. I've seen Magic Johnson. I've seen Barry Zito, Marcus Allen. Thank you for everybody who's weighed in at 510-897-1322. It is now time for buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Okay, so I read a good article earlier, and the tease was kind of, um, I knew where it was going, but I read it anyway. And it was saying, is this free agent the best, this free agent pitcher the best since Greg Maddox? And they're talking about Garrett Cole and his historic season. Garrett Cole won 20 and 5 this year with a 250 ERA and 326 strikeouts. That's pretty good. Cole is set to become a free agent after the season. Cole will join a list of starters who become free agents in their mid to late 20s. And the guy I broke down some of the guys that, that, that this happened to. David Price in 2015 was 2019. Max Scherzer was 29 in 2014. CeCe Sabathia was 27. John Smoltz was 29. Your guy, David Cohn, was 29. And my guy, Greg Maddox, was 26 in 1992 before he went to the Braves. That's the big difference. When he went to Atlanta, Greg Maddox was just 27 years old. Maddox had an incredible 2.18 ERA for the Cubs in his walk year and then signed with the Braves for $28 million over five years. That was a lot of money back then. And the five years before free agency, Maddox recorded a collective 301 ERA. That's a 126 ERA plus for you fans that love ERA plus like I do. And averaged 251 innings per season. Buying or selling Garrett Colby, the best free agent pitcher since Greg Maddox. Well, who have we had since Greg Maddox? That was a great free agent pitcher. Uh, well, the guys that listed Price, Scherzer, Sabathia, Smoltz, Combs. I looked the guys that were in their 20s, so they had yeah, other guys. Verlander wasn't a free agent. Randy Johnson was in his 30s when he, when he was moved. Oof. I'm just looking at guys. Oh, when he was a free agent going from Houston to Arizona. Yeah, I was looking at guys that were in their 20s still because Cole's still in his 20s. But he's 29. Yeah. When does he turn 30? He, no, he, he's going to be turning 29. He's not 29 yet. He's 28. I'll buy that. But he's no Maddox. No, no, no. There's never going to be another Greg Maddox. Look at this. Look at these innings. 
249, 238, 237, 263, 268, 267, 202, 209. Then 245, 232, 251. Cole ain't sniffing. Cole's not even sniffing the innings. How about the wins? The wins you don't care about. 18, 19, 15, 15, 20, 20, 16, 19, 15, 19, 18. He's got the most years of 15-plus wins. Yeah, he, he was really good. I mean, he's, like, he's amazing. He uh, he was. I told you, he was the first guy I saw that I actually fell in love with as a pitcher because he didn't throw hard. He was just so – his fina- like, he was just such a finesse pitcher, and he knew how to paint the strike zone in the corners, and that's what he did. And he, he turned into a Hall of Famer on 350-plus games. From 1988 – to 206 to 2006 1988 to 2006 he made 30 starts every year but two years yeah again the guy was uber talented and he didn't have really have what you call the body of a uh a pitcher you think as he got older but the guy just knew what he was he painted the corners he didn't throw hard and he he did in chicago though he was a 93 94 guy when he was in chicago when he was young and then he slowly, Which back then, by the way, was pretty good. A lot now, it's nothing. But back then, you're you're a, you're barely hitting the uh, hitting the majors at 94. Yeah, 93, 94 back in the day was still throwing pretty hard. So we talked a little controversy with the Braves. So there's another controversy with the Braves. Cardinals rookie Ryan Helsley told the St. Louis Dis- Post Dispatch that he thinks the chant is insulting, talking about the tomahawk chop. And the 25 year old rookie was disappointed when he's when he heard it during Game One of the National League Division Series in Atlanta. Helsley is a member of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, and he speaks the Cherokee language as one of only few Native American, few Native Americans in Major League Baseball. The Braves say they appreciate and take seriously his, his concerns. The team says it has worked to honor and respect the Native American community throughout the years. Hearing the, fan, the chant by the fans, a part of the Braves tradition since it was borrowed from Florida State in the early 90s, was a shock for Helsley. Buying or selling, the Braves need to stop the tomahawk chop. <sighs> I mean, what? I mean, if people find it offensive, even though it's you know they've ch- they've changed Chief Wahoo in Cleveland, you know Stanford used to be the Indians, they stopped that. I mean, I mean, I, you sound insensitive if you sell that. So I ha- I have to buy it. So talking about being, ins- but how do you get them to change? What are you going to do? Tell eight people don't do that. Yeah, and they please, go, are you going to tell Florida State to stop doing it too? Or yeah. So talk, talk about insulting. Uh, during his game two start for the Twins, uh, for the Twins, rookie Randy Duvnak struggled. He went two innings long, four runs against the Yankees. A small fan, a small section of Yankee fans started the chant. I actually have the chant right here. If you want to hear it, do you want to hear it? Uber. They started the Uber chant. During his rise in the monitors, Randy was an Uber driver to help make extra money in the offseason. Buyer selling the Yankee fans chanting Uber was disrespectful. Oh, God. God we are just so sensitive. <laughs> we are just, uh, we're all just a bunch of little butterflies. Don't rag me. That, that's, you know, that's part of home field advantage. Is it? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, they've read your bio. They found out you're an Uber driver. And now they're ragging you for it. Ragging has been a part of the game forever. I was at an A's game years ago. I We ragged Albert Bell to a point where he was flipping us off. <laughs> it was fun. 
Stop being, can we stop being so sensitive? It's one thing if you're offended if you're Native American. But because a guy was an Uber driver and they found out and you, you can't take that. I mean, come on. We're, I, I think everyone got in their feels, as the kids say, because it was the Yankee, Yankee fans doing it. If it was if it was anyone else, I don't think it would have been a big deal. But since it was Yankee fans, and that's why everyone was so I, big hey, mad, as they say. Hey, I, I rather I rather have that than like at old Candlestick Park where they're throwing batteries at people. The Giants fans yeah, used true, to throw yeah. bat. I rather have, I I rather be called Uber than having batteries or something thrown at me. Or be booed as Santa Claus when you're in Philadelphia. Well, Santa Claus was drunk from from <laughs> what I understand. All right, last one quickly because we're running out of time. The Washington Redskins have finally fired head coach Jay Gruden. Oh, that went down today? Yeah. Gruden is 35 and 49 in his career and made the playoffs one time. We saw last year when Hugh Brown was fired from the Browns. He joined the Bengals staff under Marvin Lewis, who were, they were both fired at the end of the year, as an offensive assistant. Buying or selling, Jay Gruden will join his brother John's staff here in Oakland this season. Jay Gruden, one of the great Arena League players and coaches of all time. Not only did Jay Gruden star as a quarterback, then became a head coach, went back and played again as a quarterback in the Arena League. Uh, I'm selling. I don't I could see I don't know what Jay Gruden's going to do. I don't know if he goes to television, I don't know what, but he's going to get paid. Wow. Starting out 0 5, it's just absolute death for the Washington Redskins in our nation's capital. Okay, here, here's the deal. We're on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 4 live, and then we replay the show from 4 to 7 in afternoon drive. So if you didn't get to hear, I mean, l- listen to this guest list if you're just tuning in. We had on today Jeff Blum from the Astros, Steve Garvey, and then back-to-back Hall of Famers, Tom Glavin, and Burt Blylevin. So we will replay the show. When do we need to be out? Quickly. We will be back on Wednesday. We'll be breaking down A's. We'll be breaking down offseason. And more importantly, we'll be breaking down all of these playoff games. As the Rays beat the Astros today 10-3, to we're in the bottom of the ninth inning, Braves and Cardinals 4-4. Later on, we got Dodgers and Nats, and then the Yankees and the Twins. Have a great day, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. 
championship team. 